the basement where nerdiness thrives and grown men rant about toys. <laughs> Smith Retro? Uh, longer than necessary, but also at the same time. I also don't mind talking about Kevin Smith this long. Especially yeah. Especially because there's always, like, there's always new updates in the, in the ISK universe and the world of Kevin Smith anyway, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, it's time we get this retro moving along, because um, we're basically in the final act of the ISK universe as we know it right now. Yeah. Uh, the final two, basically. Uh, and this was the final for like it just up until this year, so. Damn sure was. Um, so let me let me pull this up. Before we get into it, I had asked uh, all you guys on the on the webs. Yes, on the Speaker Brains group, my personal Facebook, and the uh, Fresh from the Basement. Facebook group, uh, what you guys thought about the movie, and that we'd read your comments out, and a few a few people said some things. David Anderson, our buddy David, he says, I enjoyed the nostalgia the movie brought. I definitely think they waited too long to make it, though. Some jokes did not hold up to time. Adding the kids was eh. Moments of funny, but they slowed the pace of the movie. Uh, parts of it, I felt like... Parts of it felt like YouTube shorts rather than a whole movie. Overall, 6 out of 10. Now, I can see I can see some things being like, Oh, you waited too long to make a sequel, for instance. Uh, you know, Son of the Mask, shit like that. But with this, I think waiting that long to make a sequel sort of works, because in a way, since all these movies are connected, you know, they didn't technically wait too long to make the sequel, because Jan Silent Bob came back in Clerks 2, uh, whereas these movies feel more like events, they are, you know, it's kind of like when, when the Brady Bunch ended, uh, the original series, and then every once in a while you had a little reunion movie on TV, it's sort of like that never quite went away, you know, like, um, I definitely feel that as well, that it's like, when it's a full-on Jay and Silent Bob movie, it's kind of, um, especially nowadays in the, in Marvel Cinematic Universe era, it feels like one of those kind of events, but for the Kevin fandom, you know what I mean? He yeah, kind of yeah, in a way, in a way, like, you know, Strikes Back was the Avengers, um, yeah. And this is, I guess, sort of the Avengers 2. Because uh, it's just oh, the big yeah, crossover. I, I really feel that way. Huh? It's Avengers 2. 
So I guess some people really feel that way because Avengers 2 isn't really looked at very highly either. And I don't see a lot of ultra-positive reviews for Reboot, but it's kind of like what I've learned through taking my notes is you got to, like, separate it as, like, a mainstream movie and a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm not comparing it to Avengers 2 as in Avengers 2 is the one that's more lackluster. I'm comparing it as in with it just being the sequel. Like, these are the big crossover event movies for this universe. So that's really the only way I I compare it to Avengers is the fact that... what it builds up to, and it's star-studded. You know, I mean, he finds a cameo or an appearance for, like, more so than any other, like other Kevin Smith movie, you know yeah. what I mean? He always has appearances, but for the Jay and Bob movies, like, he ropes as many people as he can, because he knows um, the appeal of these characters, and it's something that I get into in my notes, is how they've changed over time, so I'm going to save that for later, but it's definitely a point to be um, acknowledged. Yeah, and <clears throat> then uh, our buddy Heath Williamson says, Garbage. I have that seen me up. yeah, I have seen most of his movies. The first three are great, and uh, I get it. I, uh, Heath Heath is a uh, I don't know. He's a little hard on Kevin Smith movies sometimes. He was he's not a fan of Clerks two either, uh, and you know they all for some people they all can't be zingers. And then a little quick one, our buddy Dan Chase from the Cut to the Chase. He says, Hater Tods! Which we're definitely going to go into later. I cracked up when I saw that because I actually have um, a pretty humorous note about the Hater Tots. Um, going back to the first one, it was David Anderson, right? I was, um, it was David Anderson? Yeah. I was shaking my head actually a lot at his comments. I don't know if, um, I don't know if I agree with everything, but a lot of the things that he says... Uh, did pop up in my recent viewing of it, so I actually thought that was a pretty uh, a pretty cool comment because we're on similar wavelengths. But I me, think, um, I don't necessarily agree with everything he said because I sort of feel the opposite of everything he said. I think they waited enough time, uh, and I think that I think the kid characters were, even though they weren't utilized all that much. I do think uh, it added a little something different uh, in the comedy and how the characters could play off of each other. I thought that uh, uh, I thought the twist was kind of uh, dumb, but uh, it sort of just had to be there. But with the twist sort of being as dumb as it was and a having a twist like that anyway, also played up. Uh, it was some payoff to a few jokes from earlier, and it was also a play on this whole movie being a reboot, which uh, I can't wait to get into it. I really can't. Yeah, the point also at the uh, at the twist is kind of like, at that point in the movie, things kind of get thrown out the window anyway, so... Yeah, exactly, it's... It's just like, like the, a race to the finish at that point. Yeah, just like the ending for uh, Strikes Back. Like, it's just everybody's there at that one place, and uh, silliness ensues. 
I don't necessarily agree with the uh, it waited too long, but what I agree with is uh, what he said about the some things feel like a YouTube sketch. I'll get into that. Like a yeah, 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 we'll get into that because I don't really feel like YouTube sketches, but uh, yeah, or like SNL or something like that. Yeah, like a like a sketch, like a sketch comedy. Something um, that would pop up years later, like, oh, they're doing the bit from the movie, you know, but they're talking about uh, reboots or something. Like, you know what I mean? It feels like something that, like, almost like a Red Letter Media parody or something like that, <laughs> or like a Frankie Frayne animation. Yeah. That they, they come back every couple of years, and it's kind of in the same style, but they're talking about something modern. But we might as well get into it at this point, because we're already, like, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, this movie... Is a sequel in the overall universe and a direct. You can't really say any of these movies are direct sequels because of everything that happens in between. the The movies is canon as well. So in a way, this is a direct sequel to Strikes Back and Clerks Two. Um, it leaves like gaps for like time to pass and for stuff to develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also kind of reflects on Kevin Smith's career anyway, how he goes off and tries new things. Like, um, we even see in Reboot here, like, he went off and directed some of the CW superhero shows for a little bit, and then he comes back and sees what these characters are up to. So it kind of almost, um, especially to a Kevin Smith fan, it works to his advantage because you're growing, you're getting older with the characters. Exactly, exactly. And that's another reason I do like that they wait a while before jumping directly into a sequel. That's another reason I can't say I agree with the they waited too long comment because with this being 20 years later, uh, if you're if you're not counting Clerks 2 uh, in between them, um, you know that this to me is one of the better. Uh, if you want to call it a legacy sequel, if you want to call it a, uh, I mean, that's another thing it's doing is it, uh, it, this movie, the thing I love about this movie is that to me, it plays on reboot culture, Hollywood culture. It plays on legacy sequels and everything and, and lampoons it, um, pretty fucking well, pretty fucking well. Yeah, while still being a solid addition to this universe. Yeah, while still being its own movie, uh, and sort of, sort of like this is gonna be weird. Sort of like with what the most recent Scream movie did with yeah. with the uh, re- reboot culture and stuff. Man, I love the shit out of that. That was a fun one. I really enjoyed it, and I was. I remember when we did the Scream podcast. I remember not being so glowing on the original Scream. Mm-hmm. Uh, time has definitely passed where I've watched it more, and I, I definitely appreciate it. And that's uh, another thing about the Scream series is which, to me, all right, love the first one. I'm fine with the second one. Not a fan of the third one, but I fucking love the fourth one, and I fucking love the fifth one, and it's because. To me, Scream works better if they let enough time pass so the different horror tropes and all of that change so they can lampoon it again just like they did with the uh, the first movie. Well, you got more toys to play with, basically. Yeah, exactly. That's why I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought the new one was pretty fucking brilliant. And I thought it was well done. Yeah. 
And I thought I thought the fourth one uh, I would I probably wouldn't say brilliant, but it had a lot of brilliance in it. But I thought I thought man, yeah. it really is. Me, I can watch one, four, and five, and I can skip two and three. The thing I wanted to get into with Reboot, though, is kind of like my background with it, because it kind of comes into what we're talking about. Um, my first time watching it was at the Reboot Roadshow. So that yeah, that's really awesome. Affected my, <laughs> it really affected my enjoyment of it, because with the live Kevin audience, like you can't help but have a smile on your face the whole time. And whatever comedy you're watching, when the, when the theater is erupting with laughter like it is pretty contagious yeah but it does play into it and then also kevin smith was there answering questions so it was a whole exciting night of all around that there was enough around it that like the movie wasn't just the only thing my second time viewing it was home vi- when it came out on a uh, blu-ray and i will admit who's was involved so this could have affected it but i had a very mad viewing of it uh-huh. also also, I had done a double feature with that and Tropic Thunder, and Tropic Thunder came first. So in retrospect, that is really unfair competition to <laughs> Yeah. Like, two completely different comedies. And also, like, I just think, like, Tropic Thunder is just an animal of its own, right? You know what I mean? Like, that overshadows, like, whatever comedy you're watching at the moment. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, hell yeah. There's, there, to this day, has been nothing that really... Uh, taps on to um, what Tropic Thunder was getting a hold of. But One of, like, the last truly great parody movies. And what I like about Kevin Smith and his universe, actually, now that we're comparing it, is that he spoofs things, but they're never full-on parody movies. There's always something else going on under the surface, and he's always thinking about um, something a little bit deeper. And it, yeah. even, in his more, even in his more recent movies, like that kind of energy still kind of shines. So that's why I've always been um, kind of back and forth with how I critique Kevin Smith movies, where it's like I'm definitely aware of stuff, um, especially with this movie, but I'm able, and it's kind of clever how he did this, he made people a fan of him kind of first, so you're able to kind of, um, you're able to kind of ride with it for a little bit, you know what I mean? So even if you didn't like Jersey Girl or something like that, hey, maybe you'll like something like As Crazy as Tusk. If you didn't like Tusk, hey, here's another uh, Jay and Bob movie. You know, I mean, there's always, there, there's always something. Yeah, because it's, like, it's not like his movies are just mo- studio movies. You know, you're a fan of Smith and his work and the people that are involved in his work. It's like, it's like when you follow somebody like Tarantino or, you know, there are just some directors that you follow as opposed to franchise movies. Like, these are franchise movies in their own right, but uh, they are ran by one guy. Uh, and it's like and his indie bands, right? Yeah, exactly. Than, like, you're watching them kind of develop their sound together, and now I think Kevin Smith has kind of, like, really found himself, like, he has a signature sound at this point. Like, it's undeniable. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but it, uh, this is what we're going to get into later, is that the subtle changes, though, because even he is very self-aware about his work, and he does a lot of jabs, self-deprecating, mm-hmm. where I almost feel like he doesn't even acknowledge it that much, but like there are little subtle... Every Kevin Smith movie is pretty unique. 
for somebody who gets commonly like lumped into a box. You know, the term a Kevin Smith movie has like a certain, um, it has a certain like context to it, which I never really found to be all the way true. You know what I mean? Because as a filmmaker, like you were saying, as you follow them along, there's every new film comes with new challenges, new things, new perspectives. So I like that, especially in the dynamic of the Jay and Silent Bob characters, there's always a new kind of edge added to it um, while still feeling familiar. Mm-hmm. So should we start the movie? Yep. All That's right. So how does this thing start off? We have the police. Logo. <laughs> yeah, it starts off with a bunch of logos. A lot of logos. I do like the throwback to the uh, Buisk Universe clown again with all the characters done. And I think it's the animator is Steve Sparks. It's the guy who did the super groovy cartoon movie. So yeah. that was pretty cool. For, it's, got uh, that, it's got that Red and Stimpy-esque sort of uh, um, kind of cartoony... That tuniness, but kind of grotesque as well. Like very, yeah. um, very bubbly, very, very bubbly style very art on the features. Yeah. The <laughs> um, but yeah, so it starts off at the quick stop, and I actually, all right. So last night was the second time I've seen this movie, and so like you were saying, both times I saw this movie, I absolutely loved it. Thing is is it sucks because, um, you know, when I was watching the older movies, dude, it was back when I was a teenager, and all we did was sit around and smoke weed and watch TV and play video games and watch movies. Like, that's all... We had nothing better to do. So I've seen Clerks a hundred times. I've seen Dogma and Strikes Back a hundred times, you know. But weirdly enough... Like, I, I don't have, well, I guess it's not weird, I'm growing the fuck up, but I don't have time to sit around and watch the same movie over and over and over again like I used to, and so, uh, for Reboot, last night was the second time I watched it, and even with Clerks 3, uh, 2, when, uh, the, when you and I did that podcast, that was only like maybe the third time I had seen that, um... And so that's why, like, it kind of sucks, man, that uh, I wish I wish that I had time to watch this. Because last night I was watching, I was like, damn, there's a lot of stuff happening here. There's a lot of background stuff that I need to be taking notes on. But it's fucking, it's 6 o'clock at night. I'm eating dinner. Uh, I need to fucking work in the morning. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I don't have the time to constantly pause and... All of that stuff, but I did get three notes. <laughs> I know you said you you said that uh you know you got notes galore, and I'm glad you do, man. I'm glad you do because, like I said, dude, I just had no time. But my first note, uh, my first note is something that I missed the first time we watched, but it was something that me and Zach has been talking about. Um, and I want to say you and I talked about it, uh, on, like, what Clerks 3 could be like, but there was straight up a fucking red box right there where the oh. video store used to be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> first thing that got a genuine laugh out of me, and it still does, because it's just, it's too good. That's too <laughs> Yeah. And, like, RST is gone. Like, it's exactly, 
what it would be in yeah. 2019. Exactly. You're in a shitty part of New Jersey and and you know, even over here we still have red boxes, you know, here in the shitty side of town. Uh but it's like we said, man, fucking movies are going uh, you know, physical movies are going away, everything's going to streaming and even right now red box. Nobody's standing around the red box anymore. You know, I remember five I, I, years I, I, ago. Huh? I think I think that almost kind of makes it funnier, though, because yeah. it's true. They are just still sitting there, though. So somebody could probably argue that it's an outdated reference, but I would beg to differ because it's like it, we're really just watching all these forms of media just pass us by, and it's kind of like um, immortalized in front of the quick stop, basically. Like it's kind of the neutral setting for Kevin Smith to establish, all right, here's where we are in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let me grab some more coffee real quick. All right. You go for it. God bless. Water break. Yeah, I just had to... I've been up since 3 o'clock this morning. Uh. Okay, so yeah. The movie starts off... You have a red box where the video store used to be. Uh, and then uh, it looks like the video store is now a uh, pot store. Uh, a chicken restaurant. Yeah, yeah. It's a chicken restaurant as a front, I guess. It's kind of like a Breaking Bad type, like uh Yeah, there you go, there you go. And so the police come in there, and um, the police come over there, and it's a big action-y opening, uh, but it's probably, this is, this is, this is sort of one of my, like, kind of dumb moments where I'm like, uh, do we really need to do this? Because uh, I remember this even in the trailer, too, I was like, why... But, so, Jay, Silent Bob run out there with their hands up, and the guy says, drop the plants. It's kind of like a hype moment, just to introduce us to them again, just to, just to have them say the iconic line, basically. Yeah, which is totally fine. He says, drop the plants, and so he drops the plants, but then he starts to drop his pants, which, alright, that's fine, I get it, I get it, but... We literally, barely five minutes into this movie, repeat a joke from Clerks 2 with the dick tuck and the Goodbye Horses song. So, me, I'm like, okay, I get it in Clerks 2. But here, there's no reason for him to do the dick tuck. I mean, if you heard, <clears throat> if you heard, uh, drop the pants instead of drop the plants, wouldn't you just drop your pants? What what makes him uh, decide to do the Buffalo Bill? I think at this point, like with Clerks 2, Kevin Smith was trying to um, establish that that's kind of like a new behavior he kind of does because he's like, oh, well, boredom is the first step to relapse. Not that it matters anymore because he's just smoking weed again. But um, what I noticed is especially in like the older of Kevin Smith's fans, that Goodbye Horses bit is really fucking popular. So 
I definitely think, like, number one, it's thrown in as a callback, but also because he knows the certain part of his demographic is going to fucking die over it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which, I appreciate the reference, but I was just like, why? And another thing I want to point out is that it doesn't even, the joke doesn't even land as well because uh, I think Don L literally said, he's like, all right, where's your buddy? Where's the Silence of the Lambs? Like, yeah, where's Silence of the Lambs? Get it? Yeah, that's Silent Bob. Like, that is what the movie is, yes. Called him Buffalo Bill. Which, to me, that is probably just a, a, a pebble in, in, a, in what could be considered a rocky start. Because um, it's... Yeah, it's over real quick. Uh, they get it out of the way. Um, it's already full of cameos because I, from the first time I saw it, of course, I love that uh, Donnell is in it, Donnell Rawlings. Um, but I didn't notice that, uh, I'm trying to pronounce the, his name right because I don't want to be disrespectful. David Dastmulchin from Suicide Squad, Dune, Dark Knight, he's like an a, he's pretty much an A-lister and he's playing the security guard who's like, he doesn't have a dick. And he's doing it really well. I, I kind of, um, on my most recent viewing, I was pretty blown away. I was like, wow, I didn't realize um, just how many people he had gotten for, like, every scene, basically. Yeah. Because I loved him in Dune. He was just in the recent Dune. Um, he was hilarious in the Suicide Squad. So he's, And I think he was in Ant-Man. He's kind of, um, he's really risen in the Hollywood system basically so it was pretty surprising because there's certain cameos with kevin smith that um you can kind of expect yeah and you're yeah those are friends of his or there's some of his celebrity connections that still come out every once in a while but it's like this is like he's never been in a kevin smith movie before so that really is like it's 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 like kudos to him man it's like he did it like out of just love for the series i guess like it's a cool little cameo. Yeah. So they get busted, and next thing you know, we're we're in court, right? Yeah. So that's kind of what that scene at the beginning was meant. It was meant to bring us into the court scene. Yeah. So they uh, can sign the contract and sign their names away. It's kind of a more extreme version of how they got arrested in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. There's no stink nuggets this time. Yeah. He does, he does the Silence of the Lambs thing. So it's almost like there was an interchangeable fan service moment you could have done there. Or just had a completely different opening entirely. But I think it gets the movie started. Like, it, 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 it wakes you up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it wastes no time uh, moving the, uh, the pieces. Did you ever see um, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie from 2004? I uh, did, but I Long only remember I only remember the bit with uh, David Hasselhoff toward the end where his ass gets stabbed by the pirate fish or whatever the fuck, <laughs> and he's like, "Ooh, keep it easy back there, guys." Just <laughs> <laughs> remember closer. <laughs> You remember closer to the ending. Uh, what this opening reminded me of was uh, was SpongeBob's little dream sequence at the beginning, where there was like a hostage situation at the Krusty Krab, and it's very similar. Where like, uh, not that Mr. Krabs is being hauled away by a gun, but he might as well have been. Like that's immediately where my mind jumped to. Amazing. Um, 
And we got another fan service move, because, of course, Dante's like, all right, listen, guys, I, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, like, that's kind of um, a given, though, at this point. You can't really roll your eyes at that, because you're like, you kind of would feel weird if he didn't say it. Yeah. And my only, my only gripe with the dick tuck is the fact that it made sense to do the dick tuck in two. It yeah. makes no sense to do the dick tuck here. You you're, almost you... could have done... You almost could have gone more outrageous and he could have just done a full-on dick reveal. Like, it's not like he hasn't done that in the past. Like, in Zack and Miri, he walked out. Yeah, exactly. Not that this is, like, a fully independently made production. I know that Saban is behind it and they're mostly known for, like, more kitty fare, but we're already having people, like, want to suck Chris Hemsworth's dick and stuff like that. There's already (laughs) me cursing. Like, there's really, um... Nudity at this point really wouldn't be that big of a shocker, you know? Yeah, exactly. But, so, uh, we're in the court. I love uh, Craig, was it, God, what's that man's name? Craig Robinson? Yep. Um, I love his uh, his judge name, Jerry N. Executioner. Um, (laughs) That was, that's a funny little, there's a lot of blink and you'll miss it shit in this movie. Yeah, uh, and also there's just a lot of weird character names as we go along. Like he really just said "fuck it" with the character names this time of, this time around. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and we get ju- uh, we get Justin Long back as Brandon Saint Randy. Which um, is weird that they can't call him that technically, but it's like there's no way he's not Brandon Saint Randy. You know yeah, I mean? seriously. Like, like he is uh, on Wikipedia. He's still credited as Brandon St. Randy, but you're right, like Smith had said, yeah, he's pl- he's reprising the role, but we can't call him that because of the whole uh, Miramax shit, right? Yeah, something like that. Some legal hoopla is why you can't say the name Brandon St. Randy, just because I guess, um, yeah, Zack and Miri is owned by Miramax and stuff like that. Which also mirrors a, a lot of the main plot of this movie with Jay and Silent Bob losing the rights to their name, and they can't <laughs> go by Jay and Silent Bob. That's true. I didn't even really notice that. Yeah, he can't go by his real name. He tells us his grinder name. Yeah. His <laughs> real name. Um, but I do like that this is, though, a subtle confirmation that Zack and Miri is... Yeah. Part of the mainest universe, because it was a U.S. universe production, and even though it was meant to look and feel more like a mainstream Judd Apatow movie, and it doesn't take place in New Jersey, like, it always, like, it, it always felt like it was in the same universe. Yeah, you know it did, I mean? it definitely did feel like it was in the same universe, like, it just had that Kevin Smith stamp to it, with... This is, yeah, this is what I meant by, there's always... A little something else going on underneath the surface with Kevin Smith. That it's, like it's almost like, take a band, for instance, all right? Let's say you got Judd Apatow, you know, and he is, let's call him, let's call Apatow Les Claypool, all right? Okay. Um, and Kevin Smith is, we'll call him uh, Larry Lalonde, the, the guitarist from Primus. Yep. So... When you have Kevin Smith doing um, 
a normal universe movie, that's Primus altogether. That's everybody in Primus. Uh, but when he does something like that is similar, uh, maybe I should be calling Kevin Smith Les Claypool, but for instance, if, when he's doing something similar like the Zack and Mary, where it has that Kevin Smith stamp, but a more Apato gloss of paint on it, it's like when Les Claypool d goes and does something else away from Primus, like, uh, um... The Claypool Linen Delirium. Delirium. Yeah, shit like that, where it's like, um, it still sounds like Claypool, but it's well, not Primus. He had, like, the Flying Frogs Brigade or yeah, something flying, like Yeah, Flying Frog Brigade, fucking Bucket of Bernie Brains, um, but He's when... He's man, like, yeah. he... It's a lot. <laughs> um, another cameo I noticed in this uh, court scene was that the prosecutor is played by Frankie Shaw, and she, while having a career of her own, like she's she was in a show called Smilf that she made, and she's been in other things. I remember her from a failed pilot that Kevin had done called Hollyweed, which Donnell was also in. So I kind of like how he's giving them more opportunities to work with him because he had such a good time with them the first time, even though the show didn't really um, pan out. I remember watching the pilot of it and kind of feeling eh about it. Um, but it is cool to see her again. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Just bringing out everybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the show was called Hollyweed, if I remember it co correctly. Uh, he tried to, like, pitch it through some website I can't even remember the name of, like some different kind of streaming service. Oh, well, yeah, just a couple years ago. Yeah, it kind of just came and went. Um, but I remember it. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so um, Justin Long gets them to sign a contract saying that, you know, he's going to get them out of there, da-da-da-da-da. And I like how they do this. They, uh, you know, he, he gets them off. He tells them that, he tells uh, Craig Robinson that, yeah, this is just a pop-up thing for a new movie coming out for Blunt Man and Chronic or some shit. It uh, is? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh as soon as he's like, okay, not guilty, da-da-da, dude gets up and then walks across to the other side, and uh, now it's a uh, court case on taking Jay and Silent Bob's names for copyright infringement. Immediately screws them over. I'm thinking about it now, and it kind of reminds me of that episode of the... Uh the animated series in a way because they had that whole court case episode so oh yeah with the with the like, classic Pfeiffer <laughs> it's I'm almost you know I know Clerks the animated series is a thing of the past and I love Craig Robinson but I would have died if it was still Judge Reinhold yeah he's been being the judge all this time I don't know where the animated series it's just kind of in its own ether of the universe it's just the cartoon yeah but, uh, yeah there is a great Craig Robinson line that's just so Kevin. Uh, Jay is complaining about some shit, and then Craig goes, have your mouth take a knee. Yeah, yeah, have your mouth take a knee. Yeah, that's, uh, that cracked me up. That is a, such a Kevin line. It's, it's amazing. Um, so, all right, what happens after this? 
he basically takes the names away from Jay and Silent Bob and explains. We kind of have a meta thing where he's like, oh, Saban Films like owns them, and they also own like Blunt Man and Chronic, all that, all that. Yeah, like, and then they start talking about the Power Rangers. He's like, yeah, man, did you see the one where where the Red Ranger turned into Gold Ranger? And uh, I'm like, yeah, man. I like that we're in a world right now where, like, adults can be like, yeah, man, Power Rangers was the shit. You know what I mean? It's target demographic at this point. You know what I mean? Just fans of the original who are following the newer series. Like, kids like Power Rangers, but if it didn't have that, like, nostalgia blast behind it, like, that's, like, half the game. When I was a kid, dude, that was the shit when I was young, man, because it was the original series... And I remember the Green Ranger saga was, like, the most epic shit to me. And then right. The, it was like watching a serious drama when you were a kid. You were actually, like, on the edge of your seat, like, oh, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. This is some storytelling. And it, I look back on that series, and I'm like, you know, as ridiculous as it is, it is a lot for a kid's show that you're introducing them to, like, this weird sci-fi world building even though there's not a lot of world building it's like it's there in the visuals you just start to wonder like what really is going on with like the machine empire and all this shit (laughs) hell (laughs) yeah going back to the scene in the courtroom there's a moment they do like a little gag where um he goes saban films owns the rights to your name and then jay goes what and then he turns back really fast and goes i said saban films owns the rights to your name and they keep going back into the dialogue. I feel like there should have been a little beat there because Justin Long is really bringing it in terms of comedic chops. And I think it was a really funny line delivery on his part. I feel like there should have been a shot where maybe like we cut back to Jay, giving him like a weird look. But what I wrote in my notes about that is that Kevin's movies have always been pretty snappy with the dialogue. Yeah. And, um, but in more recent years, his comedy has become straight up rapid. Like, he's really throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, it's real fast uh, nowadays. I have noticed that where, um, fuck, hell, we even get, we even get a, are you, are you as blind as Anne Frank gag in this one, too? Oh, yeah, and again, it's like a blink and you'll miss it, because the dialogue is so fast, and it's at this point that Kevin is so much show, so much so the showrunner that... There's not really people uh, like cutting down lines anymore. I feel like like there was no line, no funny line or improv that hit the floor in this one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think what Kevin wants, Kevin gets. Mm-hmm. Especially after the heart attack. Not to be mean about it, he straight up says it in this movie. He's like, I basically guilted, and he said that when I saw him at the reboot Rocha. Like it's true. He's like, I basically pitied the cast into doing this. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I can't wait to get into all the uh, the self-deprecating stuff because man, the meta humor in this to me I thought hit like just about every time. Um, I always think of when he pops. Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith. I- I'm definitely gonna get into that later because he knows he really knows what he's doing. Yeah. And how to play himself up. <laughs> yeah, because it's like yeah, you're 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 really just being yourself when you're on camera. Uh, I think with. The, but a version of himself, you know what I mean? He really knows, and there, you haven't seen Clerks 3 yet, but when we get around to that, there's a gag in that that almost confirms it. He really knows how to control his Kevin Smithiness. He chooses not to, which is even funnier. Um, going back to 
what we were saying about the rapid-fire dialogue and the jokes, though, is that it is a balancing act where some scenes are really laugh-out-loud. Like, each joke is pretty clever. Um, but then there's other scenes where it's like, all right, we got to, like, just move on a little <laughs> bit. Like, not, not dwell on this. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to get some hits and misses. I think, and then, too, man, there are puns galore and... All, just all the other references, like, so it's, they tell him Kevin Smith is making the new Blunt Man in Chronic. And then, uh, you know, and Craig Robinson, everybody started talking shit about him. Uh, but then it turns into uh, Jay misunderstanding and calling him Kevin James. And straight up, they fucking throw in, fucking Kevin James, King of Queens is making the damn movie, and then later on, I can't remember who the fuck said it, but they said, you know what, Kevin can wait. Yeah, I wrote that down in my notes, I'm like, that is already dated. <laughs> like, <laughs> Queens at least has, like, the rewatch value, where it's like, people will love it, but, man, a Kevin can wait reference, that was a little rough. That was a little, that was a little rough. Yeah, that, I mean, that was when, like, the show was already, you knew that show was dead already, by the time... The of its life. <laughs> By the time this movie came out, I'm sure that show was canceled already. It had to have been. I have a weird Kevin Can Wait story, actually, though, now that I think about it, is that um, they had a bar set, apparently, that they used on that film, uh, on that shoot, and when they wrapped with it, that set came over to my school, oh. and that just became the set that we all used. So for the last, like, two, three years of my four-year college experience, like, half the short films that everybody was making, we just got so used to seeing that damn bar. Yeah. And it was, like, the only set that we had access to without going out and, like, finding it ourselves. You know what I mean? That we could shoot on campus. That's uh, cool as shit. Yeah, so that's a pretty... That's the only thing that I think came out of Kevin Can Wait, honestly. <laughs> I'm the only person. Um... But that scene where they're talking about Kevin Smith and Kevin James is actually when we return to the mall. Yeah, and there we, you go. I actually go in another story for you, actually. I'm popping off. Is um, When I first saw Kevin Smith speak um, at Caroline's Comedy Club, this, it was before Reboot had come out. He was still in the middle of writing it. And typically at the end, you know, everybody looks forward to, it, it's pretty much standard at this point, the Kevin Smith Q&A. Yeah. But I, I feel kind of special, like a little special, because he, he did away with the Q&A this time around. Because he had already, this was right after the heart attack, so he had already been up there for like a good maybe two hours, maybe coming close to like, it was long. So he was like, I could sit here and do maybe like one or two questions, which wouldn't be like that much fun for all of you, or I could read you guys a scene from Reboot. So he whips out his phone. The only thing he tells us is, like, you know, don't take any videos, don't take pictures, whatever. Um, and he reads us this scene with Brody. And what I find interesting is that it, it's similar in nature, but still completely different. It was less fan servicey in some ways, but kind of fan servicey in others. And if I can get into it, it's... Um, in the movie, we, we're back to the mall. The secret stash has moved um, into the mall because he said it's cheaper rent space. I really like the line he says about, like, oh, yeah, she's on her last legs, boys. 
about the about the mall because it's true. It's another little bit of Kevin Smith kind of showing us where we are in the world. Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing I did like. I, I did want to bring up was uh, him move Brody Bruce, obviously being tied to mall rats, and he's the mall lover, the comic book lover, da da da. May he owns his own comic store and strikes back, moves his comic store to the mall so he can be sort of like he's going down with the ship. Because it's if you think like about it, huh? It's kind of like his own Randall moment from Clerks 2, but even like, I don't want to say sad, but even more like, I guess, bittersweet in a way. Because Randall, uh, he, they bought the quick stop and they renovated it and stuff like that. He moved there just to be where he loves before it's too late. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and he, uh, and he would, would buy the mall, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like he's, he's going down with the ship because if you think about it, comic book stores are, are sort of on their way out too, man. Sadly, yeah. I still like to go into them, but they are getting uh, more and more empty from my experience by the day, which is surprising to me because it's like the fan base and the, the output of love for comics is at like an all-time high. Yeah. But with online orders and stuff like that, you know, a lot of um, big comic shops are just kind of transitioning to online. So that could be a whole other Kevin Smith movie in its own right, or a, or a, a fan-made Kevin Smith-esque film. Um, but one of the things I was going to point out about how the scenes differ is that, so this scene is more of a straight-up recreation of the scene from uh, Strikes Back. They really go back to, like, they even do the same blocking, the same... The jokes are different, for the most part, but... The whole setup of the scene is basically the same as when they were with Brody in, and kind of the Holden scenes as well of Strikes Back. Um, in the original scene that he read for us, they were on a podcast. Brody has a podcast. So it's kind of like fan service in a different rate, because in a different way, because he's kind of doing the podcast reference again, because, you know, he likes to do the podcast. Yeah. So, but basically the whole scene plays out the same. Um, but I do think he changed it because it doesn't really make sense that they'd be reporting, recording a podcast and doing all this. And also Jay and Bob just got their names taken away. So how can they be guests on a podcast, you know? Yeah. Maybe I think the scene it. works perfect the way it is. Uh, in the movie because it does it gives you a lot of information and it does everything from strikes back just about verbatim um, and while at the same time while at the same time explaining and lampooning what the hell this movie is about with the whole reboot shit like camera angles are, are almost identical uh, the certain uh, dialogue beats, uh, just with different stuff, uh, you know. Uh, then the 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 Steve uh, the Keith Coogan and don't tell mom the babysitter's dead bit. Um, oh man. <laughs> yeah, they didn't mention that in the in Strikes Back, but I don't know. There's just, this played up to me on on the little reboot nature of. Yeah, we're you're just gonna make the same movie, just change a few things to make it fresh. 
like I thought that whole scene was perfect, and then we we get Brody Bruce again, you know, just perfect. In huh? his element, and I I did enjoy it, but I do kind of agree with this is where I agree with uh, David Anderson, is that um, it does feel like something you would see on a sketch show, or like when Kevin Smith was maybe writing sketches for like Jay Leno, you know what I mean? Where it like involves his characters. It's it's a really good. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's a really good, like, closed scene. It works on its own and as a part of the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's there to give us... It's, it's there to basically show you this movie shares a lot of the same beats because technically it's a reboot, you know, without being a reboot. It's what I find funny, and this might be something that I just noticed, because last night I really was, like, going frame by frame. I've never really done this with a movie before, but I had hyped up that I had a lot to say in the last episode, and then a bunch of months passed, and now I was like, I'm not, like, I'm really going to take this seriously. Um, there's a joke when they're watching the Kevin Smith part on the internet, where the microphone keeps falling into, like, his face, and it's <laughs> yeah. like, would you fucking stop? But then they cue the music. That's how they end the scene with the Matt, Matt, Matt. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. yeah just just like on uh, on Strikes Back, I thought was and on that note. We cue the music. Oh no, it was definitely funny watching them do that again. But what I noticed, I don't know if it's a piece of a comic book store, like a collectible, over Jason Lee's head, or I think the mic seriously falls into frame for real this time. Because there's a little thing at the top of the frame that I'm like, that could easily be like some replica, or it, but it kind of looks like a, a, a big black mic. Amazing, <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> I started thinking even deeper about it because I'm like, when they're doing these scenes of like Matt, 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 and doing all the, the guitar things, I'm like, there's probably a lot of improv going on, and Jason Lee ends on a really like, oh, you <laughs> Crazy one. Yeah, because it wasn't like it wasn't identical to Strikes Back. Where Strikes Back, he ends it with like a wah, 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 something like that. On this one, I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> he found Looney on the last one, and I think they were just filming Jason Lee at that point. <laughs> There's a couple of moments in this film where I think they just leave like uh, even jokier takes as the main takes because they just loved it so much. Yeah. But, yeah. It doesn't take away from the film, but I'm like, I'm not sure. I think we have a, a real mic drop, and it's kind of funny because it, it happens right after they do the mic joke. Yeah, he says, because uh, what, what the fuck is Chronicon? Yeah. Just like, what the fuck is the internet? Now, it's weird, too, because... Um, I know that Chronicon is supposed to be like its own fan-made convention for Blunt Man and Chronic, but they never, I don't, I don't think they ever mentioned the actual name Comic-Con. And I don't know if it's because maybe they couldn't get, if there's a rights thing in even mentioning it or showing it, but I find that weird because in Chasing Amy, it's so different how things have evolved. Yeah. Like that Comic Con, like it was Comic Con. You know what I mean? They, it there was, was no tiny. It was small. Wizard Magazine was in there. It was so low key that it's like they almost wanted you to reference them in your movie. You know what I mean? And nowadays it's such a big 
brand, basically. You know yeah. what I mean? It is a larger-than-life event that spans different states. So it's really crazy for me to th- for for me to think. I wonder if that was something on production as well. Did they want to just go to Comic Con, or was this Chronic Con? Because it is just a pun. It could just be as simple as that. But if you haven't noticed already, I I, I really I, I subjected this movie to quite the analysis, but my own analysis. That's why I wanted to warn you at the beginning of the podcast. That it's like, yeah, I took a lot of notes. But they're my notes, so it's definitely going to be like weird Frank thoughts and just quotes I like, me pointing out like the different people I noticed in the movie. Rad. But I want to damn, I want to smoke a cigarette. Yeah, dude, no problem. So let's pause real quick. We'll be back after this. And so while we're on the Brody scene, this is when... Uh, they even mentioned that How High is the greatest movie ever made. Yeah, that I found really hilarious because you kind of have these time-honored stoners in Jay and Silent Bob kind of praising um, a movie that came out well after Quir- well after Clerks. Yeah, uh, the Seven movie that came out like maybe a year or two after Strikes Back. I think maybe even the same year, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, very well could. Both 2001, I think. Which, uh, I love the shit out of How High, also. Yeah, really, really funny. Um, damn, uh... Kevin Red. So, what happens next? Is this when they go to the airport? Um, let me refer back to the notes. I went and took a little break. Whoop. Alrighty. There is a funny scene, uh, a funny line with the Brody scene before we move on from it, where he fucks up the name Saban with Sabaros. Yeah, the pizza place. (laughs) (laughs) Those pizza-making fucks. (laughs) That was a good one. But So after that, um, yeah, it is the airport scene. But another thing, I keep thinking about this damn scene with Brody. It really is probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, In my notes I said, there is something genuinely funny to me about Brody's monologue about running franchises into the ground and then immediately jumping on Jay and Bob about their Marvel comments because I think we've all seen someone like that. And again, I like how Kevin taps into these little intricacies and specific personality ticks. Yeah, because... You know what I mean? You know, people aren't ready to... People aren't ready to say they're running Marvel into the ground yet, but with a lot of the uh, reception I'm seeing on this, the recent um, Phase 4 stuff, you're starting to see a little bit of uh, franchise fatigue there. And I do like that when they mention that, I do like Brody flipping out on him, because it does make sense, because he's the massive comic book fan, uh, and finally we're living in a world where superhero movies can be good and true to the comic books and stuff. You know, we are... 
we are well past the 90s and early <clears throat> early 2000s idea of a comic book movie. Oh, absolutely. So in a way, you could say they are sort of running into the ground. I mean, we're, we're at how many TV series now and movies that fucking connect? Um, it's, it's overwhelming. It's basically just become a series of TV shows because the Marvel Cinematic Universe was basically that, like a long-standing, um, really long cinematic TV show. Like each one, yeah. even though it's different characters and different stories, they all... Uh, yeah, you got about three to four episodes a year. Yeah, <laughs> I guess Star Wars really introduced that concept of of episodes, you know, yeah. describing them like that. But yeah, I do like that. I do like that because I'm, like I said, which I haven't seen Clerks three yet, but I'm hoping to get a little bit of that with, like we mentioned, with Silas or not Silas. What's that kid's name? Um, Elias. Oh. Elias, that's what it is. Silas. Silas. That's a Matrix name. Yeah. Um, Elias and, and, and uh, Randall fucking uh, with the... I, I definitely have a lot to talk about with Clerks 3. I'm, I'm trying hard to refrain because it is very fresh in my mind and I've only seen it once. So that's next on my to-do list when it comes to, number one, uh, being available more for more consistent recordings, and two... Uh, getting my Clerks 3 notes going. I like this. Uh, it worked out this time around that I had taken notes because there's a lot of... Um, this movie leaves a lot for uh, discussions and thoughts and stuff to go in-depth with. That's why I'm not fully on the side of, like, critiquing it. Like, fully, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's people out there who just straight-up hate it or just, you know... Because I definitely felt weird about it when the trailer came out, but I think it definitely um, exceeded my expectations. Um, yeah. And that's what really came through with this most recent viewing, that I was like, wow, you know, there really is a lot, there's a lot of thought put into this. It's almost like mind-boggling. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Another thing I, I delved into was because they established that Kevin Smith is a person in this universe who made, um, you know... Cop out and yoga hosers. Number one, it's kind of like a, a Tarantino, like, two-universe thing going on. Yeah, because, weirdly enough, we get a meta-clerks gag in this where, yeah. very similar to the one in Mallrats, but in Mallrats it's a blink-and-you'll-miss-it bit where he puts on the clerk's hat, uh, and he's like, eh, fuck this, and he, he takes it off. Uh, in and this, what, I I almost thought this was him explaining it that it's like maybe Clerks was a movie in that year, but then I was like, oh shit, Mallrat takes place a day before Clerks, so there's really no. It still is just this odd. It's just a, a, a hat that says Clerks. It's for the audience. But yeah. One thing I was wondering is, I wonder if Moose Jaws is ever going to happen, or at least the way. He originally intended it with Jay and Silent Bob, and now that they've openly mocked Tusk in the universe. Yeah, yeah, seriously. So and they would be in that shit, and the whole True North trilogy was going to be established into the universe. So now I guess it's just not happening. There yeah. really has been no talk of Moose Jaws since, like, 
reboot in Clerks 3, and since he's gone back to his legacy characters. Um, but there was a... Because they even mentioned Jersey Girl a few times. Uh, yeah. Uh, but what I was going to say with the with the other Meta Clerks reference is when they're running around through the uh, Chronicon, and you've got the Clerks panel, and yeah. it's all black. They're all black and white. They turn black and white. It's a silly, fun little scene, but at the same time, it's like... So, what's going on here? Like that universe, you, it weirded me out. But as a gag, you're having I a really glitch in the matrix, right there. As, as a gag, I really enjoyed it. Speaking of entering the matrix, because it's almost like something you would see in like the animated series, where they really just go out there with yeah visual humor or the referential humor, where. You just mentioned it. They literally had that episode where Dante was in the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> that um, was fantastic. But, but, uh, but yeah, so like, I do like that idea that Kevin Smith is a real person in this universe, and um, his movies that aren't in the Askewniverse are movies in this universe that they all talk about, which I think is, uh, is pretty... Um, to me, it's pretty clever because, yeah, there's the in-universe movies with Tarantino, but nobody really references them, um, you know. It might as well be movies that they could watch, too, you know what I mean? Because it doesn't really have too much bearing on the overall universe. Yeah. And I like that Zack and Miri didn't get given that treatment. Like, going back to what we were talking about with that, it really shows how much faith in retrospect, Kevin Smith really did have in that movie, you know what I mean? It does stand out amongst that period of his career, where that yeah. was kind of him... Because it could be in the same him. universe, it's just in a different state with different people, you know? Um, but I remember, too, hearing that... Uh, so, you know, um, his wife, uh, she plays the movie, the movie's uh, manager. Um yeah. I can't remember where I heard this or read it, but they mentioned that she was her that character is apparently the mom of one of the girls that she played. Apparently, it's the same character she played in Yoga Hosers. Yes, so it is a very similar role because they both work at a restaurant. And, yeah, so the universe is just really um, split open at this point. Like, you almost feel like a multiverse-type uh, conundrum or catastrophe is about to happen because things aren't really adding up anymore. And Kevin Smith, uh, it doesn't really seem that concerned with it at this point either. You know what I mean? Yeah, she I could easily... Really she could easily just be playing a movies manager. But I did... I do swear I read that it's the same character, which to me would make less sense uh, since they do mention Yoga Hosers, uh, whereas I do appreciate the the subtle connection to Zach and Mary where you don't necessarily have to know these. You, you, he, Justin Long could just be any old fucking lawyer, but if you're in the know, you're in the know. And most of the people watching it are in the know, so it, 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 it succeeds in what it set out to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, she doesn't have to be the same character. She's in a very similar role. It also doesn't make sense that she's not in Canada if she's supposed to be Exactly, exactly. She moved to America. I mean, I guess she, anything's possible. But, yeah, 
I just saw it more as like in my notes. All I wrote was Jen. I'm like, it's 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 a cameo from Jen. It's just a nice little thing. And they have um, what's it called? I just ate some vegan. Yeah, that was a great little gag. That was a pretty good line. Oh, um, so they get that's a little, that's a little ahead. <laughs> yeah, so they're at the airport, and we get a two fat for forty reference. Oh, um, yeah. She she says, uh, you know, oh, you you have you have a weight problem. And he's like, what? You're saying he's still too fat to fly? And I used to I used to call him lunchbox, but now I got to call him snack pack. <laughs> that is in my top ten favorite lines. Like I still use that. That is that was that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, another thing I love. Uh, they have to go under their fake names. I am uh, Don Juan De La Nuch. <laughs> yeah. In, <laughs> In my notes, I wrote, my fake name for Travis would be Spoonlin Aldoonlin. Yeah, there you go, Spoonlin Aldoonlin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I, another note I wrote down at this point, because you really notice it here, and it continues into the movie, is that Kevin Smith's Silent Bob performance is in, like, full Marcel Marceau mode at this point. And he openly admits it. Like, he has a pose or a reaction for everything that Jay says and most everything like another character says as well. Yeah. Um, and I do like I do like the gag where he's got the cell phone and he types for a long time just to have a big old emoji. I was going to ask you about that because that's a running gag and I wanted to know how you felt about it. Like there are certain parts of my notes where I'm just like all right, I want to I want to ask Travis about this cuz I really didn't know how you'd feel about it because it's a ride-or-die joke. It goes all the way till the end. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I like it. I thought it, I thought it was a good touch, but I can also see somebody sitting there being like, is this funny? Like, It's more quirky, and it just kind of makes sense that like in this day and age, like, why wouldn't he? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I do think it's funny that he sits there, and he's just typing forever like he is saying a lot of shit. But when he shows you the phone, it's just a little emoji. Which might even be like an age joke as well, if you really dig deep into it, because it's like, um, they're, especially Jay and Silent Bob, because they're still basically living in their past. Like, they're so not up to the times, you know what I mean? Yeah. They've been doing the same shit. Uh, Justice says it later in the movie, where it's like, all you ever needed was Silent Bob and a bag of weed, and that's what they did. You know what I mean? Yeah. They had the time to watch the same movies over and over again, and that's why they're as picky about the details as they are. Yeah. So they get told they're on the no-fly list because the lady, he uses the, their fake names, like Don Juan De La Nuch, and she's like, yeah, I think those are made-up names. So he's like, all right, well, I'm Jay, and so this is Silent Bob. She's like, okay, so I still don't think those names are real either. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they are on a... And yeah. They are on a no-fly list because of the clit. That was that was another nice little reference um, to yeah, that's uh, neat fan service right there. It, that like you know what I mean. Some people could really harp on fan service, but when it's done right, it's like I didn't even expect any reference to the clit, especially in that way. So it's like that's pretty funny. Like right when you would least expect it, like oh shit, they're still remembered for that. Yeah, and, and that, that, that's a reference that makes the most sense because they technically shouldn't be, you know, they technically should be on a no-fly list because it was a supposed terrorist organization and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Um, so I thought that, that worked really well. 
So now they gotta find another way to get to Hollywood, and they they hit up this rideshare app, but they have no money, and I'm assuming it's because they spent it all reopening Quick uh, Quick Stop and doing nothing with it. Yeah, <clears throat> and um, so we have um, Boiling Rage Ralph Garman coming out of the elevator. Yeah, and I'm going to read the, my credit card number slowly. So everybody could hear. Yeah, which was too fucking silly, but I thought it was funny. It was, it was pretty damn hilarious. Only, you only could have Ralph Garman play somebody that cartoon. It's Ted. Ted. Yeah. You have Bob with the phone. Yeah, man. And so they... Good one, but then immediately it really is just like cameo after cameo after cameo. Like you almost get like beat over the head with it, like not in a bad way, but it's like it's a lot that you went. You go from Molly Shannon, then you got Ralph Garman, which is more you know if you know him, you know him. it's more for the Kevin Smith fan base because he works with him a lot. Yeah. Uh, but then we get Fred Armisen. Yeah, you get Fred Armisen right after that, and yeah. And when me and Stas were watching last night, I'm like, God, man, there are so many people in this movie. And Stas was looking a lot of people up. And, um, you know, the list just keeps going on. But they hop in the car with old Fred. And, you know, I, I'm mo he's one of them dudes that he's in a lot of shit. But I can hardly remember most of what he's in. I know he's Uncle Fester in the new Wednesday series coming up. And I remember him from Pro Portlandia. But that's really... The only stuff I can really think of off the top of my head. Portlandia is where he has kind of like the carte blanche to really um, explore his interests and his humor like the way he wants to. But then also he was like part of SNL. He was like, you know, he makes appearances everywhere. And I always liked seeing him. It always comes down to like the material that he's given. Yeah. And. Dan Chase, he commented hater tots, so a lot of people did, especially at the screening, got a big laugh out of the running uh, hater tots joke. Um, I don't know. I was always kind of iffy to it. I never thought it was like that funny of a concept, but um, it was never something that hindered it either. Like, I was never like, oh man, this is like painfully unfunny. It was yeah. just like... A, yeah, a the hater tots thing is... Um... It's funny in a way that it's like, yeah, this is this guy's weird quirk. Um, yeah, you know, this thing. It, it's it not laugh out loud hilarious for me, but it doesn't. Uh, it's not like God, this is so stupid. It's not obnoxious at all. It's like just yeah. Yeah, um, it's just a weird person they meet. Like this to me is just like with Strikes Back. It's like it's one of those good ass, quirky ass road trip movies like Bubble Boy. You know, where somebody goes on a massive road trip to do something, they meet all these different random-ass characters, uh, like uh, like like Joe Dirt, you know? Yeah. The friends we meet along the way, a hang like Tarantino, going back to him, like he would call it a hangout movie. Yeah. I guess um, hangout movie and road trip movie are two separate, but they could, they, they collide. Um, yeah. One of my last-minute notes, I don't know why I was thinking this, I, I replaced... Fred Armisen in my head with the angry video gig nerd, and I thought the bit was a lot funnier. 
with him <laughs> pelting them with Hater Todd. Yeah, now see that I did fucking thing was pretty funny when we get to that. Um, Some reason in my head I was like, it's such, it would be such an out there cameo because like at least Fred Armisen's in like the Hollywood bubble. Like imagine if all of a sudden it was just James Roll. <laughs> Hater Tots full of shitty games. Yeah. So, uh, so they, they're riding with him, and, um... One thing that I do find, like, sadly humorous is how believable it is that Hater Tots would be adopted by white nationalists. Like, that's kind of funny in a sad kind of way, where it's like, you could see something like that happening today. Yeah. They ruin everything. Um, they're like, damn. But, uh, is this... Right. The running is, joke works the most. It's when the Klansman is like, oh yeah, and afterwards we'll be serving hater tots. I think that's the best use of that joke. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, we love hater tots. Oh, so is this where we get the Loki cameo? It really does come out of nowhere, yeah. they Because they say to drive to Hollywood. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I guess you'll have to just give me a big tip or something like that. So in interspersed with this, we all of a sudden just, Damon's back. That's what I wrote in my notes. Well, Damon's back. Yeah, and it's a good little scene. I do like it. Um, and I love the I love the puns in it. And then especially the, so I, the, the long explanation for this joke where it's like, you know, so yeah, so technically I was reborn. So I guess you could say it's my reborn identity. Oh, it's <laughs> building up to that. Yeah. He, he starts narrating about Jay and Bob's journey, but then it never pops up again. It's kind <laughs> of like that moment in Clerks 2 where the text pops up just for the new and improved Jay and Silent Bob, and then it just it's just one of those things. It just happens and it's gone. Yeah. Um, one great line read, though, is when he's like, Filling in the audience on what happened in between Dogma. Number one, he's aware that Dogma is a movie, so another gap in the universe. Yeah, weirdly enough, because Jay has mentioned the events of Dogma a couple times in this movie on how God looks well, exactly happens, like. But I'm, I, but I'm saying he actually calls it the title Dogma. Yeah. You know what I mean? He acknowledges that it was a movie. Exactly, which is so weird. Um, but there is a great line read where he's like, did he go to hell? Heavens no. Yeah. <laughs> that always gets, a, that, get, that gets me. Yeah, that's a, it was a cool, it's a cool little cameo, and it's a cool little callback to Dogma, but it just comes out of nowhere. It, it almost feels like a last minute addition, you know, and they just had no idea how to put it in there. So they just said, you know what, uh, let's just throw it right here. Yeah, for sure. It's like they almost, well, because I'm sure they were like, um, I don't even think they were sure they were going to get Affleck, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because so, that, that was, that was of, sort of a last minute deal too. The 11th hour. Like, we're just going to bring them in. So I do think it was funny, but yeah, there really is no reason for it. But it is cool to see that. Um, yeah. It's it's one of the no it's one of the bits in the movie because uh, uh, there are sort of a couple uh, there's no reason for this bits in the movie but it's one there's only one in the movie that I'm like eh with 
and it hasn't happened yet. But this one I'm I'm down with. Like, it's cool. I think, um, I think in Kevin Smith's like self-deprecating sense of humor, like he would probably answer like, "Well, there's no real reason for any of this." But what I like about Kevin Smith is that he kind of once he takes on a project. No, no matter if you agree with him or not, like, he finds a reason for it or, like, a centerpiece or a theme, something that keeps him um, going till the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting. Um, is this, so they stop in Chicago. This is where we were talking about Jen's character. Yeah, so they um, go to a movies, and that's when, uh, you know, yeah, he, you find out, and he's talking about, you know, do you have anything vegan? to, uh, give to, uh, uh... This broccoli bitch. <laughs> yeah, this broccoli bitch. Uh, uh, and that's the lady... Like, you could turn it into a drinking game. The cameos. We got Kate McCucci. Yeah, uh, that lady is another one where I've only seen her on, uh, Garfunkel and Oates, and then, like, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, she definitely does a lot of, like, character work where, um... You know, it could either be Blink or you miss it. Again, Garfunkel and Oates is her, like, space, kind of like Fred Armisen's Portlandia, like, where her and Ricky Lindholm can just do what they want to do. I've always, um, that's always been my favorite project of hers. But for some reason, with the voice that she's pulling in this movie, um, is it just me or does she come off like a live-action Ash from Pokemon? I have no clue because I, <clears throat> I never watched Pokemon. Or, uh, alright, then to bring it down, it, like, a stereotypical 90s teen boy, you know what I mean, that you'd see in the cartoon. The voice that she's doing is, um, whoa, no, man, you were just about to show me your dick? Like, it reminds me of a character like either Ash, or like, maybe even like a Bart Simpson. I don't know, I got, I got a pretty good chuckle out of that. Yeah. And so, while this is happening, uh, Fred, uh, is smoking... Uh, smoking some weed that uh, Jay and Silent Bob gave him, and uh, they're weed. They're 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 weed strands. I think it's like Snoogans, Snoochie Boochies, and Berserker. Yeah. Uh, so, if if you're living somewhere where it's legal, or if you can get it, like that, it's apparently a real thing. Oh, awesome! So that's cool. It's like a nice like tie-in thing. They tried to do it with Tusk. They had made, like, a tie-in, like, weed strain um, in California that was called, like, Mr. Tusk. And then that, I think, did so well um, locally that as legalization has been moving forward and stuff like that, and it's becoming more and more of a common thing, like, it's another thing Kevin could add to his uh, to his merchandising. And it, it, it is fitting. Like, let's be real. Like, why wouldn't you? So... And they're huge fucking joints in this movie too. They're yeah, all, yeah, the big, uh, the the fucking little Silent Bob joint that uh, you oh, have to hit yeah, the dick I, of. So they, they they smoke out of its dick. Yeah. Like, how would you even like? How would you burn that thing to the end? <laughs> but uh, so aside from the shit going on with the uh, with, so you got Silent Bob's wife taking him to the bathroom. Jay sees that Justice is now a news anchor lady, and um, weirdly enough, uh, Grant Hicks is up there. Um, Don, Don, what is it, Brian O? Uh, 
Brian O'Halloran. Yeah, is, is reprising his role as not only Dante Hicks, but Grant Hicks, who, if you think about it, I thought he was dead from, uh, from Dogma. He must have just narrowly escaped. Yeah, which I think is cool. It's another little blink if you miss it thing where, you know, every time every time Brian shows up in these movies, he is a different family member from the Hicks line. I wonder where uh <laughs> Well where Gil where is. is. Say what? I wonder where Gil is. Yeah, exactly. Where where's old Gil Hicks? What's he doing now? <laughs> he's doing better than Dante. Probably not. Yeah. After being embarrassed on television. But yeah, so he sees her up there, and he's having another little uh, fantasy like he did when he first saw her walk into a movies in uh, in Strikes Back. And this time it gets a little weirder. I thought it was funny when uh, now he's behind the uh, the anchor desk with her, and then like uh, fucking Grant Hicks is kind of like peeking over the desk and shit. That was good. Yeah, it definitely took a turn where I was like, okay. Here we go. Yeah. Um, no, the Grant edition where she's popping up over. That was great. Um, there's even a weird reaction shot from Kate Micucci where she's starting to, like, get into it a little bit. Yeah. She's like, oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, Silent Bob comes and snaps snaps him back out of it. Um, but, yeah, it's a cool introduction to get um, to get us back on to where Justice is. Yeah, so they walk outside, and they got all this food, and old buddy is arrested. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> they chased after him. He went, he made a, a, a weak attempt at a run for it. Yeah. So okay. I, from here, they, they just go walking to uh, Justice's house, right? Yeah. All right. I believe so. Or... What I remember next is, yeah, them being knocked out because they make Justice faints. And there's this really weird addition of, like, modern... I don't even know if it would be, like, rap or EDM, like, what the specific genre would be, but it's very modern beats being played over it as she knocks them out, which I get it because we're introducing the new generation, but up until this point, um, I don't know, kind of felt out of place to me personally. And, again, without spoiling anything from Clerks 3, I feel like that movie did its modern music editions a little better. All right, so before we get into the meeting of Jay's daughter, let me go smoke a seat. Okay, so now we're back. Um, So they get there to Justice's house and knock on the door, right? And then um, they get knocked out. Uh, but you're right about the music, because before this, it was mostly like, you know, it, it, what sounds like 90s rock, 90s kind of punk stuff. Yeah, if it wasn't like a straight-up callback, like they used the Mallrats theme, um, they bring back a track that, I don't think it's the original Clerk song, but when they do that black-and-white bit, you hear a little bit of that riff. Bam, 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 like, so... It's there. Um, so, yeah, there was a pretty consistent sound, which fits Jay and Silent Bob. You know? And another one that I do like is that <clears throat> you get the Jay and Silent Bob music that was massively prominent in Strikes Back with that, that bass boom kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Well, like and the dun, dun, 
that little spy kind of groove, dun dun kind of shit. It's hijinksy, but not like hijinksy the way other comedies would do it, where it's like there's a specific cartooniness to Jay and Silent Bob's antics. And like, yeah, like you said, it's kind of like spy, espionage type, like Mission Impossible parody almost. Yeah. Um, so they get knocked out, and, um, so... There's another added fan service reference that doesn't really need to be there when they get knocked out. He does the, uh, oh, son of Jor-El, kneel before Zod. Yeah. But I guess it's cool that it's an inverse, because when he first said that, he was knocking out LaFour's, and now when he says it this time around, he's the one being knocked out. Yeah. So... And then it also looks like a sort of dogma reference as well with the hockey stick. Um, and the way she's moving, because she literally like dips out of frame, like kind of um, cartoonishly. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see it looks like the, a callback to the devil children. And uh, so Justice wakes him up, and... Um, <clears throat> This is where, like, shit starts to get a little real, and, and, you know, the thing I like about this movie is that, you know, you, you get Jay, uh, sort of growing up a little bit, and, uh, a little bit by a little bit, um, and realizing that, damn, man, all I've kind of did was nothing my whole life. Um, which you get a lot of, a lot of bits of that sprinkled from here on out. Um. And missed out on a lot of stuff because of how he was acting, you know what I mean? Because yeah. that's what she said. You're right, we do get a serious, they literally sit down and she explains that it's like, well, the baby needed stability. Yes. Um, she says, you never visited me when I was in prison. Um, and, uh. Fucking, he's like, well, that's because they wouldn't let us fuck. <laughs> um, it is good to see her again, because you do kind of wonder where her story went, because she's, last we saw her, she was being dragged away in chains. She did get to see the, the Blood Man and Chronic premiere, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny that that movie in-universe went down in history as, like, a garbage piece of shit, because that premiere was probably... Um, one of the more unique movie premieres of all time with a live performance from Morris Day. Yeah. Hell yeah. And uh, so she mentions all that stuff and he, he says, Boo Boo Kitty folks, she's like, oh, you remember. And you can kind of see that she still, um, uh, she still cares about him, but she has definitely moved on. Oh, uh, yeah. Be shorter than, you know, like, you know, Time has passed, a lot of time. Um, and so now... One of the things she says, though, there's a, there's a little uh, self-referential joke in there again where it's like, yeah, what have you guys been up to? Oh, we're going to Hollywood to stop these motherfuckers from making a movie about us. And she goes, that sounds familiar. Yeah. And what I wrote in my notes was like, it is hard not to compare this movie's overall humor to something like 22 Jump Street, where it's another movie really balancing that's like, we're doing the same thing, but... Switching it up just a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I did before, whereas, like, um, there is always something unique to Kevin's take on it. So, um, it is a movie, though, that was prominent in my head while moving forward from here, where, um, 
I do feel like, depending on who you have as a writer, uh, the results may vary on how your meta humor and stuff like that could really land. I think 22 Jump Street really nailed it. And I think this movie does it all right, but there is a few, um, there's a few awkward moments. I think that's what we could say about the overall movie too, is that it's like, it's, it's nothing harmful. It's nothing, um, it's nothing horrible, but it's like, there is definitely some, uh, start stop moments, some awkward stops, you know? Yeah. I did want to mention earlier during the Brody scene, (laughs) we spent so much time on the Brody scene. They, they do that fourth wall break. Uh, but I fucking, I, it cracked me up, uh, because I think it's Jay that just flips the fucking bird at the audience. Um. At this point, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. But yeah, so back with, uh, Justice, uh, she mentions that, uh, she's married now, and I... Don't remember, uh, thank you, yeah, they go upstairs so he can meet his daughter. And, what do you think about the name? Um, at first, I thought it was dumb, uh, until you find out uh, her wife's name, Reggie Falcon, so it just kind of made sense. Uh, fuck it, let's name her Millennium just because, now... If they just, if she had a different last name, but they decided to make her first name Millennium Falcon, that would kind of be fucking stupid. But, uh, you know, it would be like me, you know, with my last name Jones, and if I had a child, you know, it would be like me naming him Indiana, you know, so, uh, or Davy or something like that. So, I, I, at first I thought it was stupid, but then afterwards I'm like, okay, I'm down with that. I'm down with that. Oh. Um, kind of rings true to Kevin Smith's real life. I mean, Harley Quinn Smith and then Jay, uh, his daughter is Logan Muse. Yeah. The, the comic book characters going in there. Um, yeah. I'm really surprised, and I'm not being disrespectful by saying this, like, I'm surprised Harley Quinn flew. That's actually pretty awesome on Jen's part. It does have a good ring to it, but she must be, like, the coolest fucking wife in the world or what, because imagine, like, trying to pitch that, what that must have been like. What, naming your daughter Harley Quinn? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It kind of worked out in the end, too, because she could probably rock, like, the Harley Quinn cosplay pretty well at conventions. Yeah, yeah. And so what I like about this is it, it, this sort of lampoons that whole legacy sequel deal where the original characters are passing the torch for identical characters, but it's... Duh, 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 it's all all here for diversity, so now they're women, and so basically she, amongst her group of friends, she is the J, and uh, I forget her friend's name, her deaf friends, but that is definitely her silent Bob, but uh, instead of just not talking, she's deaf, and so you get the... You get the uh, sign language and stuff, and but no, this one, she's a female and she's black, so it's sort of lampooning that shit, but with without being forced. And I think it's pretty ballsy on Kevin Smith, too, because um, it is something that, if not done well, could fall flat on its face and potentially ruin the movie, you know what I mean? But he's been so chill, like, with... Um, how outspoken he is on all this stuff and stuff like that, that it's like, I think he's earned the rights 
to like throw a couple of like edgy jokes in there and stuff like that. And it never goes edgy, you know. What I mean, I think the edgiest it goes is that the Middle Eastern girl's name is Jihad. Yeah. That's a little like that. That was crazy, but yeah, um, but, but that could easily just be her nickname that that they gave her, and that they're all friends, and she's cool with it. It's nothing like overly offensive, or like it really. Once it's mentioned, like it, they only draw attention to it like once or twice. Like that scene in the minivan where he straight up says they just <laughs> they just changed it around slightly and added diversity. And you get that hard shot of it, like, cutting around to the girls. Yeah. And I was, oh, shit. <laughs> like, that's what Jay thinks, you know what I mean? And this whole movie is Jay's arc overall as a father. Like I was saying before, how Kevin Smith really finds that one theme or piece to really hold it all together. It's like, for this movie, that's what it is, is Jay coming into fatherhood. Yeah. And I really think it, it's Kevin commenting on basically seeing his friend in real life you know, through, like, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old and all the different podcasts, getting him off of the hard drugs and stuff like that, watching this familiar character change into something a lot more, um, a lot more than we thought was originally there, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I do like that, uh, that these uh, female characters, I do like that they are as dirty uh, as the uh, the men characters and with all of their sex jokes and shit, which I think is funny because, uh, you know, it's normally guys that you see in movies like this with the raunchy humor and stuff and all that, and they're making jokes about sucking dick and shit. You know, I thought that was pretty funny. I want to hump him till he's Thor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, fucking, you don't really get that a lot with female characters and because, you know, guys joke like that and fucking women joke like that, too. You don't hardly ever see it from the woman's perspective in movies. So I did think that was a, a nice touch. And she's hanging out with her best friends, too. So filters are definitely off. You know what I mean? Yeah, They're just exactly. being themselves. Um, I had a running joke in my notes where... For the most part, yeah, it doesn't bother me at all with the with the girls having that sense of humor. But imagining Kevin Smith writing some of this dialogue, knowing full well that his daughter <laughs> is going to say it, I, I had a running joke in my notes where I was like, is it weird that he did this? I'll let you decide. I kept ending it on, I'll let you decide. Because on the surface, no. You know, I mean, Kevin seems like a really open-minded person, and it's acting and you know what I mean? It's like, it's nothing too crazy, but sometimes I sit and think about it. I'm like imagining him writing the dialogue, though, about owning the two dildos or attracting the pedophile van and stuff like that, even though it turns out they beat up the pedophile. I'm just like, I don't know how to feel about that, man. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you, uh, I bet you uh, she had a hand in that as well. I bet you they no, sat down together. Because there's another, like, later on in the movie, there's the other um, self-deprecating joke. Oh, I hate this guy. He, he makes his daughter do everything. Or something yeah, like that. he forces his daughter. daughter to be in all his movies. But in reality, no. Like, from the podcast I listen to, especially around the time of Yoga Hosers, even though, like, even for me, like, that movie, I, I didn't really enjoy it. Like, they had a blast making it, and, um, yeah, no. Um, 
it never seems like she's forced to do any of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then think about it, like, how many movies of his was she actually in? I mean... You know what, I, like, who wouldn't want to work with, especially if their dad was Kevin Smith? It's like a surefire, like, yeah, let's do it. Right, exactly. Um, and I, I made a note about um, Harley Quinn Smith that, like, even though it's only been, like, a three-year gap between um, Yoga Hosers and this... I think her acting has really improved since then. Oh, yeah? Because uh, I still haven't seen Yoga Hoses. There's some hints of similar of a similar performance, because, again, there was only three years in between making movies, but um, it is a noticeable, like, jump in quality, though, because Yoga Hoses, aside from, like, a cameo in Tusk and being, like, a, a baby in Strikes Back and the little kid in Clerks, like... She really wasn't an actress, so it's like seeing her progress in three years is actually pretty impressive. And then I, I had noted that it's kind of crazy that within that amount of time, like to now, she's been in a Tarantino movie and her co-star in Yoga Hosers, Austin Butler, is now like top of the top Hollywood A-lister. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's the guy who played Elvis recently. He is in Yoga Hosers. He oh. was in... Wow, oh, damn. I gotta silence that. <laughs> he was in that Jim Jarmusch movie, The Dead Don't Die. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of interesting seeing his star rise as well. Huh. In a very short period of time. But, um, so... Did you hear that, by the way? Yeah, my... my, my uh, Laptop went off with a text. I want to make sure it didn't interrupt too much. Yeah, the little dings in his eye. Um, but uh, so they Jay meets his daughter for the first time, and um, they're in there hanging out. And I like how he's he's like, "Oh man, this is like that shit. Your favorite movie, uh, The Quiet Place." <laughs> and then he does the fish face and the dick sign. I, I love that. Oh, your second favorite movie, The Shape of Water. Yeah. That was that was good. Yeah. Uh, going so, back to my because this is more just introducing um, the characters, and then things really progress once they hit the road. Yeah. But first so you meet Rosario Dawson. Yeah, you there. meet her. You meet Justice's wife, and it's Rosario Dawson. Um, and I had wrote down that Shannon Elizabeth and Rosario Dawson, a couple that could shatter the universe. <laughs> And um, I I think it's funny that she's like, oh shit, that's the fuck, that's the, that's Jay, fucking um, what is it? Uh, she made the thumb, thumb dick come quick or something. Yeah, like that. something like that. And uh, she's like, you are a fucking legend. <laughs> it's like damn, yeah, he's a legend for all the wrong reasons. It is a nice little cameo. Um, where was I? Something that I thought of today, actually, was a reference to House of a Thousand Corpses, because the Kung Quick Thumb Dick, for some reason my mind immediately jumped to, uh, Little Dick Wick played with his prick. Yeah. Which we gotta jump on that movie eventually. I, I really dropped the ball that October passed us by, because we could have gotten this done, maybe giving you time to see Clerks 3. Like, I, that's another movie that I have a lot to talk about, uh, so that would definitely be a fun episode one of these days. Yeah, hell yeah. I'd like I'd like to do a full-on Rob Zombie retro like we did with the Kevin Smith. 
I do too, because I've only really watched his early films, so I want and the most recent monsters. So I want to jump into movies like Thirty One and Lords of Salem and see what um, see what I think of him because he's yeah, because I'm a I'm a big fan of all his shit. Um, I've really grown to love it. Like I remember in early early episodes of this podcast, um, I was like kind of sour towards it, even though I still loved his music. But like in recent years, um, I've really grown fascinated with it honestly and I think it's because a lot of mainstream Hollywood movies not to sound too cynical have become kind of stale yeah real sterile real just too clean that I like something that like hey I haven't seen this before Uh, we have a dream sequence about a skunk ape okay and it's all (laughs) done in these weird trippy colors yeah yeah I grew to appreciate it a lot more Um, so exciting episodes in the works Oh, yeah. And so, uh, Rosario Dawson and, and Justice are going on vacation to uh, Machu Picchu, and they leave, and so that's where, um, they call her Millie. That's where Millie... Uh, I, that's where it worked for me. When they first called her Millennium, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. That might be a little... But then when they shortened it to Millie, I'm like... Hey, you know what? I'm like... That makes sense. That works. Um, And so, yeah, she finds out that they're going to uh, L.A. And so now I like how Jay sort of... um, He kind of goes through all these fucking motions of... Well, he knows that's his daughter and he can't say anything. So now he's kind of being this overbearing, hypocritical parent all of a sudden. You smoke weed? And I love the line that Harley said, fuck off my flower. Yeah. And, and so, like, that's some funny little shit. I'm glad they don't, like, run it in the ground. Um, no, they really do save it for, like, either fairly humor- humorous or, like, touching character moments where he becomes, like, the overprotective dad. It doesn't become Jay's constant. Yeah, because um, that, that would have been bad. Because yeah. I want to see uh, father and daughter moments where they are just chilling and smoking weed and talking shit with each other. Uh, they have such an opportunity with this character that it's like to nerf him would be um, would be pretty. It would be a missed opportunity, really, yeah. especially with all the humorous things you could come from this. And like, if these characters show up in the future with Jay and Silent Bob, you know that's still to be determined. Um, one of the things I wrote down, because this really cracked me up, is that um, punch bars are real, and they are amazing. And yeah, uh, they, I think that was the brand that uh, Stas was getting from uh, a buddy of ours here. They definitely have knocked me out on several occasions, including road trips. Um, and for those who don't know, like... It's comprised of, like, nine squares, and one little square is, like, 25 milligrams. Yeah. Yeah, so I, so I take three. <laughs> uh, um, but, but uh, so they, they, they mentioned that they're on their way to go to Hollywood because Chronicon, Kevin Smith is doing a, um, a uh, thing to get... to the con and we'll put you in the movie, which yeah. actually reminds me of something, like, I don't know if we'll ever... Um, 
Well, no, we actually may be getting a Mallrat sequel pretty soon. Like, he's always said it, but I think now that Clerks 3 is done, he's really going to be um, going forward with it. I would right really now. hope so, like I said, he got real, real close for uh, the Mallrat sequel a couple, right before he moved on to reboot. Because he had everybody back on board, and then it turned into that they're going to do a series. Then they and just... Times, both times he pitched it as it's going to be Die Hard in a Mall, which, not to be like mean, but I was always like, well, that's kind of just Paul Blart Mall Cop. But around that time, there had been like a casting kind of like call for extras to come to like this mall that they were going to film like one of the scenes at. I think they were actually maybe going to be throwing a convention at the mall or something like that, like something similar to this. So for a split second before all this changed, like I was um, very interested in going out to that mall and being an extra if um, it was actually to be something. Because um, they gave away, they, they, they told, uh, they said where they were going to be filming and everything like that. So it was only a matter of time and I would have been so down to do it. But now it's changed. Um, if I remember correctly, from one of the from the Clerks Three screening that I saw with Kev during his Q and A, the current title is like Twilight of the Mall Rats. So I guess it's going more into that that the malls are on their last legs. Well, that too, and I think that eventually he'll probably just call it Mall Rats Two because if you remember, uh, they were going to call Clerks Two Passion of the Clerks. Yeah, and then. Still wishes they did, like, but it still wouldn't have, like, it, it wouldn't have worked. It needed to be Clerks too. Yeah, and with, when he was talking about the Mallrats sequel a couple years ago, they were going to call it Mallbrats, and I'm like, no, no, just, just call it Mallrats too, man. That was another joke they threw in there with Jason Lee, you gotta, you gotta watch out for all the Mallrats. Yeah. Not the literal rats that come running around here. Yeah. Uh, but so, if you want to go to Chronicon and they knock them out on the punch bars, yeah. um, what I like about their little dream sequence this time around, number one, there's no kidney stealing. Like, I'm glad they didn't try to do, like, up that again, where he wakes up in, like, a, a tub. Like, that's kind of a funny one-off thing. But instead of the Scooby gang, we get Method and Red. Yeah, which was really cool. You got Method Man and Red Man. And um, in a pretty in a pretty good like scene too that adds to the plot. So it's not like oh here's just these people for a sight gag. You know what I mean these the famous people. No, they actually give like advice that forwards Jay into his character arc. You yeah. Know? Like, like he says, you know, he's like, look, if you want to be a good dad, just think of all the fucked up shit your dad did and don't do that. And he's like, well, I didn't, I didn't know my dad. He's like, well, then you're already better than him. Yeah, I was about to say, that's a great line. I'm a real sucker for, like, the the, the dad issue dramas in movies. Like, I always think it's really, um, really fascinating. I was about to quote that because that's a good one. I like the funny moment where it's like, it all starts with jizz. Yeah. So it's like it never... There's a good balance in this scene where it never goes too goofy or too serious. It's it's really good. Yeah. I love the shit out of this part. The road. The road. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it is a much better. It, it's a much. It's one of the things where all right, they to me, this movie improves upon 
some of the things from Strikes Back. Like for a dream sequence, definitely this is a, an improvement over we're high as fuck and Scooby, we're hanging out with Scooby-Doo and shit. Like, but that humor has been really like done to death at this point. Like, another Velma lesbian joke and stuff like that. It's like, um, at this point, like, just to do a gag like that again would be really um, out of place. Yeah. So I like how, like I said, we have something that actually builds on where we're going to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the lighting is great in that scene, too. From, a, from, like, a cinematography standard, just me commenting on it, I really like the... Well, I guess it isn't cinematography because it's still the still shots that you get used to with Kevin Smith, but the lighting is really good and they yeah. have uh, their hot box in it. It is so a real cool looking. Uh, it is a real cool looking scene. Neat smoke effects. And so what happens here? Um, they wake they, back up in the van, right? Or how do they? they wake up in the middle of the road. Yeah, that's what it was. They wake up in the middle of the road and they like set him up where where Jay is, his fucking pants are down and um, he's laying on uh, Bob's dick and so this is where you get the uh, the predator editor bit, which is almost kind of like a callback to Mallrats with the style of the blueprints with the stick figures. Oh yeah, yeah, which is another. Uh, Another way to show that uh, she is definitely the daughter of Jay. That's like another thing that links them together. Is, she's got her teams. Yeah, she's got her teams. She's got her schemes. She's uh, She's but got she's her Bob. She's and, smarter than Jay because she's able to anticipate what other people are going to do. Yeah. But, so, like, Ted Underhill is going to fucking, is going to beat the crap out of this guy. Yeah, and she, uh, yeah, she's definitely smarter than Jay because she was raised in a different environment. She goes to school, um, and all of that. And but at the same time, they, she is definitely from his wiener. Yeah, she's got that mischief-making um, urge within her. Yeah, um, and they um, a friend along the way, which is what we were talking about later. This is the setup for what will eventually become the climax, but we don't know that yet. What the fuck is this creepy ring shit? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's just whispering into that, uh, that little microphone thing. And so, yeah, you meet the different characters. You've got a, a Muslim chick, uh, the Chinese lady, uh, and was that it, or is there another one? Um, I'm playing back the scene right now. I feel like there's a third. I literally just watched this shit, and I said I was on top of it. Um, it might be just the three of them, honestly. Okay. Um, but even though I don't really like the twist at the end too much, like that's where things really start to get thrown out the window, um, I do give a lot of credit to the actress that, like, she really performed the fuck out of it. Like, it was good. Oh, yeah. Like, two completely different personalities. Like, um, I really liked her performance. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so they stop this, uh, they stop this guy, little pedophile dude, and, um, she gets in the van with him, and, uh, what is it, Jay whoops his ass? Yeah, because Jay, she gets into the car, 
Man. Yeah, it got like this superhero kind of get up. But yeah, if you see the if you see the deleted scenes that are played during the credits, um, it it gives it a whole different uh, context of why he's wearing these clothes. In the little deleted scenes during the credits, he it's it's, it's an extended version where. He's talking about how he's a vigilante for Jesus, and I guess he's not really a pedophile. Which I guess, it, like, when writing it, would make him getting the shit beat out of him, like, I guess, a little bit more humorous, because it's, like, all a misunderstanding, but I kind of like how they just edited it down to now Jay just beats the shit out of the pedophile. Yeah. It's another one where, uh, like, with Mallrats how they saved that movie by cutting all that bullshit out. There's a lot of, especially with comedy, there's a lot of movies that get saved by the theatrical version, which I guess a lot of people wouldn't say about other movies. You know, if a serious drama comes out, people are interested in seeing, like, or an action movie, people are interested in seeing, like, the director's cut. Yeah. But comedies, I mostly don't do extended cuts unless, like, I'm told it's really good because one of the ones that like hurt me the most, I think walk hard is one of the best comedies of all time. Like I think it just nails everything. Yeah. Walk but hard that, is phenomenal. That extended cut though, just blows the wind out of my sails. Like there's just a lot of it, moments that stop it in its tracks. Like it's one of those movies where it's like, you gotta be in and out. Like it's so quick. Um, yeah. So, so they get a van now, and it's probably better it hit the cutting room floor. But it is interesting, and I like that they did throw in these things, at least in the credits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they get the van now. They yell. They yell something about dirty sheep fucker. Um. That was after the. Uh, that's after the clan scene that happens next. This is where they stopped into the movies parking lot, and we okay. were talking about that scene yeah. where. Um, so we get oh, then that reboot line. Yeah, so this is a whole sequence that so we get the movies and then Jason and Bob get out of the the, the van and all of a sudden Fred, uh, Fred is up there <laughs> and he is throwing tater tots at him and he's just uh, by was it berating them. Uh, about his the shitty review they gave him on his uh, on his uh, app, and one thing I'm thinking, okay, so this man had to have gotten arrested, let go, and then somehow caught up with them, in God knows where, in a span of like. 12 hours. There's that, uh, there's that joke where he goes, oh my god, we're in Connecticut? And I forgot where they said they were. I think they're in, like, um, I think they're in, like, either, like, Tennessee or, like, close to New Orleans or somewhere more southern. But he goes, we're in Connecticut? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they mentioned somewhere, I want to say it was somewhere in New Orleans. And he says, oh, fuck, we're in Connecticut? But yeah, so it's like, that, that's a little weird, but it is a funny scene when he's just throwing the tater tots at him. 
And I while, think where the Peter Tots joke, aside from with the clan scene, because that's just ridiculous, I think that's where the Hater Tots joke really lands. Because, yeah, think, he's throwing Tater Tots at him like it's supposed to hurt, but you can see, like, Bob trying to catch him with his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, to expand on what you were saying, like, I guess nowadays, since weed isn't taken super seriously probably just has to show up in court and pay a fine, and he's pissed. Yeah, probably so. Unrealistic, but, like you said, yeah, he tracked them down. Like Jaws the Revenge, he just knows where to go. Yeah. And so, <laughs> while this is going on, um, uh, the girls leave, and so... What the fuck happens here? Uh, how do they catch back up with the vehicle. Fast forwarding right now, because what I remember after that, because what takes over the whole van scene is that heartfelt, um, that whole heartfelt scene about, oh, we met in a, uh, an online support group for people who haven't met their dads. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, this is why I meant by Harley Quinn's acting, like, really stepping up in three years, is that it's a, it's a good monologue, and it really hits. Um, and from there, um, this follows into the Klansman scene because the girls end up being kidnapped. Yeah, so they, what I'm, what I'm wondering, how do we get, how does Jay and Bob get from movies without a vehicle to the Klan rally? I can't remember. They show up in a car. I'm not sure if it was Merkin or, like, they ended up stealing his car or something. I have no idea, like... I'm trying to pinpoint the exact moment on my laptop. So, All I know is that they show up in the in the car. Yeah, so we get to this... Oh, yeah, knock out Merkin, so they steal his car. Okay, yeah, there you go. So they, they steal Merkin's car, and they catch up uh, with the girls kidnapped at a clan rally. And to me, this whole sequence is the moment I, that I said, you know, I was like, there's there's a handful of scenes that are pretty need, uh, needless, and this is the only one that, to me, is like, yeah, this whole movie can do without this bit. Because, yeah. to me, it's really there, just, just so Bob, just so Kevin Smith can talk shit to uh, Klansmen. That Duke whole fucking Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. That's what he was doing the whole time, is he's just being Alec Baldwin from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and just switching up little bits of the monologue. Oh, and yeah? even if I said, yeah, I think the hater tops bit is pretty funny in this moment, I agree with you that, like, overall, like, they're really... The only thing it does is it gets us back together with the girls again, but Which... we couldn't just wrote it so they didn't drive off without Exactly, because they're, they're only separated for like two minutes. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> and my notes, I wrote, left, leave the clan humor to uh, Tarantino. Yeah, 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 because they're, they're only separated for like two minutes, and then we get this detour, yeah, the clan fucking sucks. And when the movie was being written, it was around a couple years ago when everything was about punching Nazi and all that stuff. So I get it. Um, 
but it just, it's so kind of out of place. Uh, yeah. And it, the whole movie can do without the girls taking the car and then winding up kidnapped and then being saved all within like a four minute span just so Silent Bob can yell at some Klansmen. It's one of those things where it's like during a premiere, like when the audience is really like going for it, it works. But then up on later viewings, you really are just sitting there waiting for it to be over. Yeah, it's a moment that just kind of halts the movie. Thankfully, it's short, but it just kind of halts the movie for about five minutes. Not that I don't get enjoyment out of like Bob doing this whole monologue. Yeah, like which is to totally fine. I mean, yeah. Nothing wrong with it. Klansman, it doesn't need to be like like it is kind of just and I know they're in the South, but like <laughs> let's let's not be super stereotypical here. Like I don't know, like it really just it does stick out. Yeah, it's like, alright, yeah, we're I know why you put this in here, but did you really need to put this in here? Um but I get it. At this point, at this time in the world, from, from like 2017, 18, 19, you know, the world was pretty heavy on, um, and, uh, on counter-protests towards uh, Klansmen and stuff. So I get it. I get why it's there, but... Yeah, I'm definitely not going <laughs> to complain. Yeah, exactly. The heart's right. in the right place. Exactly. It's just for the overall film experience. But at the yeah. same time, I think of I think of better. Uh, let's make Nazis. I mean, let's make Klansmen look stupid scenes in movies and shows. Like for instance, like you said, leave the Klan humor to, to Tarantino. Like that was a great. Let's make the Klan look retarded uh, scene. And then on um, uh, what is it? Uh, the uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou? The little, uh, the little Klansman scene on there was done better. Even down to, like, this really reminds me of the South Park. Remember when Mr. Garrison was at a Klan rally? And yeah. they were doing the, all right, everybody, let's see what, who's, let's play the game of who's got the silliest thing under their robe. You know, I thought that was done a lot better than, uh... Harold and Kumar did it when they escaped from Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. With Chris Maloney as, like, the head dragon or something like that. Right. And it's always, it's always like, uh, it's always like a well-known celebrity that is in the clan. It was John Goodman on, um... On Oh Brother Where Art Thou, it was Jonah Hill on uh, Django, and, and Don Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> and it was um, Chris Jericho in this. Like, uh, it just mirrors. Yeah, not a cameo, fellas. Yeah, it just mirrors something I've seen a hundred times. That's what I was just about to say. Yeah, it's been done. That's ultimately what we're getting at. So. Um, yeah, that's all there really has to we have to say about the scene. But this is where it ends with the callback to just to end it all off. We do another throwback to Jay and Silent Bob strike back where she calls them the dirty sheep fuckers. Yeah. Um, it might as well she might as well have said you are the ones who are the ball lickers. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there is some of these callback moments where I'm like, and even Clerks Three, but I think Clerks Three does it better. There are definitely moments where I'm like, yes, Kevin, I, I've seen these movies. 
And so, what happens next? Where 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 do they go from here? Hollywood. Yeah, they so. finally make it. Um, and this is where they have... Like, we have one of the first real scenes. Hearing uh, Millie do that whole monologue at the movies stuck with Jay, and this is where we actually have a moment where they could sit and talk and kind of have a father-daughter moment, but he still has to keep his identity under wraps, so it starts off in the van. He's like, oh yeah, well I knew his father, your father once, he was a piece of shit. Yeah. But he keeps kind of making it more and more obvious that, like, and you can even see by, like, Millie's face sometimes that it's like she, she's starting to put everything together until we finally get to the end. Um, I'm, I'm flipping through my notes to get to where we are and I like I said I write down quotes there is a really funny thing that uh, she calls Jay a genital cuff yeah that's a fucking good one yeah um, but yeah they make it to Hollywood and there's a funny passing line again referencing dog mothers I talk to God who, talk, who looks a lot like Alanis Morissette they always have to throw in that it's like yeah I do know that God looks a lot like Atlantis. Yeah, this and is where, um, this is where we basically make it to Comic Con. Yeah, and there's a problem. lot of stuff that happens here. Um, well, the establishing shot, uh, we got furries at Chronicon, which I thought was pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Hey, you do what you like. Uh, then they run in there, and they got the Hot Topic going, of course. Yeah, the Hot Topic, um, which, yeah, Hot Topic is just a nerd store now. It's not the Hot Topic I grew up with. My name is Kuish. I get a, I get a chuckle out of just this guy trying to sell him. We got the, the Blunt Man and Chronic Urn. Yeah. Come in. And uh, then you have uh, the Chris uh, Hemsworth. Um, Hemming it up. As I wrote down. Yeah, and um, you got the please don't hump the uh, the hologram, and you get more sexual humor from the girls. They're they're air humping him and shit, and you you might burn yourself on the hologram. With yeah, thrusting into it. And uh, then he says, uh, which I thought was a great line. He says, "Because your hymns worth it." Chris Hemsworth is really, and you could. For people keeping up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you could see how they shifted Thor into a more comedic character because he really does have the chops for it. And yeah. he really does come off as self-aware in these moments. And it really is shameless. He, it's clearly green screens. Like, it's better that they made him the hologram. Um, but weirdly enough, going back to another movie we talked about, I feel like this switch in his career really started with the 2016 Ghostbusters. Like, yeah. not that his role was particularly great, but especially when watching the behind-the-scenes of that movie, I think a lot of people really realize that it's like, this guy has a lot more comedic potential than he was originally typecast for. When he was typed for Thor and a lot of his earlier movies, he was just action guy, guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, action guy. But yeah, he's actually a really... A uh, really funny guy. I haven't seen a, any of the Thor movies, but in the trailers, especially for like the most recent ones, like I can see, uh, I can see him being like a really good um, comedic actor. Um, yeah. Um, what's it called? Thor Ragnarok was a pretty good like gem 
in the Marvel Universe, but that recent Thor did nothing for me, if, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it sounds like it didn't do much for anybody. Yeah. But like which, I said, we're, which, we're at that point where you're starting to see a little franchise fatigue. Even in the directors, too, it's like, it's really clear. Like, I, I really like Taika Waititi, but um, he, he has his mind on a lot of other things. He's supposed to be adapting the Inkle, if you know that comic book, by Jodorowsky, uh, which is no. fucking crazy and trippy and weird. Um, and I think his style will really suit it well. Um, like, yeah, dude, I don't know. Something about Love and Thunder really just spit the big one. <laughs> but moving on from that, um, at the Chronicon... Um, we get Gordon. We get security guard Gordon back. Yeah, so he is supposed to be the same character. Yeah. Because every time I see Diedrich Vader, I just think of either Billy and Mandy or his role in Balls of Fury. So I never really keep up with the names. I always just think of him as Haas Delgado. Yeah, he is, uh, he's playing uh, security guard Gordon again. And I do hate that we don't get a, hey, I remember you two guys. You know, something like that. That's why I was confused if it, he was the same character or not, because, like... <laughs> Yeah, how do you forget? My, uh, what a lovely tea party! Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, he's he is credited as as the same character um, on here, which is uh, is really cool. A really cool little callback. Um, but uh, this is like where we get a whole lot of different stuff happening, and then probably probably one of my favorite next to the Brody uh, scene. Probably another one of my favorite send offs is when they meet up with uh, Holden. Uh, this is what I was waiting to get to with you, because I wanted to see what you thought of it, because it never bothered me, but I always kind of wondered in the back of my head, um, would Holden ever do this? And the more times I've watched it, the more I've, I've accepted it. I'm like, yeah, it does kind of make sense, that it's like he really, he really was into Alyssa, and he still does really care for her, and to be a part of her life, in any way, especially in, like, this parental situation. It's, like, it's a pretty, it's a nice setup. Yeah, because it's another thing. Like, this movie is, a lot, a lot of this movie is, is older characters growing up. And Because and we really, like, I know it's been so long since we talked about Chasing Amy, like, Jesus Christ. But we both were, were riding Holden on his assholeish behavior. And that movie is really about... I guess his growth, but the movie ends on such like a kind of bittersweet, like kind of downer ending. And then when we see him in J and Bob Strike Back, he's just kind of sitting alone. He has nothing yeah. to do with. In Strike like, so Back, don't you don't even know. Yeah, because like in, at the end of Chasing Amy, he's he his his fucking ego pretty much ruined his relationship with everybody. Um, and fucking, when you see him in Strikes Back, you really don't know where he is in his life, because it's almost like he's living in a garage, um, you don't really know what he's doing, huh? It's such a, it's such a comedic scene, too, that you don't even really pay attention to the details, but it's like, yeah, he's there alone, like, he's still, like, doesn't seem like he hasn't talked to Banky, he hasn't, like, you know... Or, like, he talked to Banky, they settled something, but it's like, he has nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, he gave he gave the rights to Blunt Man and Chronic to Banky, 
and uh, moved on with it. And um, he hit his head in the sand. Yeah. And so now we get this send off, which one another one of my favorite scenes in the movie, where uh, yeah, he's grown up. The the ego's gone. Uh, you can tell. Just just with this like five minute scene on its own, like he's straight. You can see that this character has uh, grown up a lot uh, since the last time we saw him. Because now, like you said, you know, even though he can't be with Alyssa because you know she's a lesbian and she's with another lady, uh, he could still be uh, a parent and basically be the dad to uh, their their daughter. That's the thing. Still more than a friend because his feelings for her clearly. Clearly, I mean, the whole movie shows, like, is more than just the friendship anyway. So it's like he is content with this because it's still, it, it's something way more prominent than just a simple friendship. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, it's, they are all family. Yeah. And it is cool because I really admire Chasing Amy as a young, brooding film student because it was one of Kevin's movies that ended on more of, like, I guess, I don't know if Morose is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, just a unhappy okay. ending. Like, it's not happy for anybody by the end of that movie. Yeah, it, I still really admire it for that, but it is cool all these years later, especially where Kevin is at in his life, too, that it's like, we could give Holden a happy ending. He didn't deserve it at first, but then when you look back at that, that Jay and Bob internet scene, you see him there all alone, you know, and then you see him here. And also, it kind of fits, too. I think... Since Kevin knew he was lucky to have Affleck even involved again, yeah, and they're talking again because they had had a falling out for a little bit. It's like a lot of things were going on here that it's like again playing with that meta-ness. Yeah, and um, and so you're glad that that whole because we're never going to get a chasing Amy too. You know what I mean? So you're glad that you can have these within this universe. You glad you can have uh, you know send-offs for characters from other movies, uh, you know within this movie, and so things are kind of working out for them. They got a Chasing Amy series coming out on Netflix. They're talking about. Uh, I was about to say I actually would kind of be interested in watching that. Yeah. I remember, I remember when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood made it big. Uh, there was a rumor for a while that's like, oh, there's going to be real Bounty Law episodes on Netflix uh, because they shot a lot of extra footage and stuff like that, and they'd be willing to do more. And then it just kind of never happened. But I don't know. Like, number one, it would be interesting to read the Chasing Amy comic by Holden to yeah. see like, how he summarizes all the events. Because I know that it is basically the story of the movie, but it's also he had to do his own thing as well. So it'd be yeah. interesting to see. And so I'm kind, of, I'm kind of feeding Kevin Smith more merchandising ideas because it's like at this point might as well go out of the box like that. You've already done your weed strains, like that would be pretty cool. Yeah, and so like I like I like the shit out of that whole scene. Then you also you get that that the the chasing Amy uh, theme music that uh, that yeah, and then they named his daughter Amy or their daughter Amy. Uh, it's, so, a, it's a little schmaltzy, but also, like, how can you not? If we're really going for this, like, come on. Yeah, and then you get, you get, a, um, you get a nice little meta joke where when Jay and Silent Bob leave, he looks at the daughter and he says, uh, yeah, they're gone, girl. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I caught that one. I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> and I swear there was another one right before it, but I can't for the life of me remember what it was. Um, did, they do, did they do a Phantoms reference? I'm almost surprised if they... That they they did. didn't, but in the uh, deleted scenes bits during the credits, they do a version of that where they say, but Ben Affleck was, was bad at, or was the bomb as Batman, and they do the high five. Yeah, yeah. But, I, always, um, I always liked that bit because um, before any of any footage of Ben Affleck and, of Batman had come out, Kevin Smith was on one of his podcasts and he made a joke like, "I think I know what Ben's Batman voice is going to be," and he reused that line from Shrek. Yeah, but Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms. His voice goes really deep and a little gravelly. He's like, "That's it right there," and then it finally comes out and it's actually kind of true. Like that with a little voice modulator. And um, so, damn it. Uh, ah, yeah. When we first watched this movie, I believe it was last year, um, I remember look, watching it and being like, God, Ben Affleck looks bad now. Um, he definitely, you definitely see he's aged here. But I don't know if you noticed it, but there are a lot of moments uh, during this scene where I'm like, okay, he looks like Ben Affleck. And then, okay, now he's starting to look like James Spader in um, The Blacklist. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it just has to do with where even Ben was at his, in his career at the time. Like, I'm not really well read on it. Because even, um, too, like, what? Before they filmed this, two years prior, when he was fucking Batman... He looked like the Ben Affleck that we all know. Well, he was getting DC money. He was getting, like, you know, he probably had diet requirements. But from what I know, I'm not even really one for, like, hard celebrity gossip. But, like, I think alcoholism had a lot to do with it, I think. Yeah, because didn't he go to rehab and shit or something? Or Yeah, so, like, that's why... Um, if anything, and again, I'm not being mean by saying this, it looks like he put on a little bit of weight, and then when you finally get to the Snyder Cut of Justice League, where they finally brought him back as Batman, there he looks really, like, skinny. Like, he still wasn't back into the Batman physique, because they were literally filming it in Zack Snyder's backyard. Almost Kevin Smith style. You know what I mean? Yeah. So his body in recent years has gone... It through through ups and downs, but that's you know it, it comes with the territory of what he's going through. I mean, at least we could say like he's he's getting clean, or he I think he is clean at this point. Um, I'm not sure because, like I said, it's not even any of my business. But uh, yeah, but um, let, let me smoke a cig before we finish. Yeah, because we're coming close. We're coming close to the climax. This is the last great moment, really. Like before it really. Um, it's fun, but then it starts to take a bit of a dive. <laughs> All right, so we'll be back. So we are back, and we're here the last bit of the movie. It's the final countdown. Yeah, so where it's where things get... Uh, the cartooniness uh, goes up. And, yeah, tenfold. Yeah, so we get a lot of cool references, though. Um... This might be before Ben Affleck, but uh, it's where Jay and Bob are running away from the security guard, and they're running into the different um, 
convention panels and you get the comic book men guys and they made there's that quick little poem about how they canceled comic book men delivered by Ming which I just love <laughs> yeah which is like man that show could have been awesome but it fell into all the major Pawn Stars reality show trappings that just made it hard for me to fucking watch man yeah, because after a while, like, if it was really, like, a real reality show about the secret stash, like, maybe you'd get a couple of interesting things, but it's like, it, it, there wouldn't really be much, so they had to add, like, storylines, and yeah. they threw in that porn star element of it, like, oh, how much can I get for this, or they're trading this, buying that. Yeah, which um, is cool, because you would get people coming in there with some interesting things, and you'd get some really cool history that, you know, you wouldn't really get anywhere else, you know. And then sometimes I go to comic book stores and I see, like, a similar product. Like, I was at a comic book store that had, like, one of those Tobey Maguire life-size Spider-Man standees. And I'm not sure if that was, like... Oh, no, that might have actually been Pawn Stars. Holy shit. It is that similar, but either way. You start to see these things around, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that from Comic Book Men, or I remember that from one of those kind of shows. That's really... Like you said, what its traffic was was it had to like one one of the bits that annoyed me the most on an episode of Comic Book Men was when I can't remember what it was. They were gonna go to a convention and it was like it was closed or they went to the wrong place or something. So they're like, Hey, let's go to a yard sale. So they go to a random ass yard sale and just happen to find these vintage ass uh Mego uh, Marvel dolls and got them real cheap and I'm like this right here that is so so scripted they went out into the woods I think to find like cryptids or something like that or they were trying to pitch a comic called the Cryptozoic Men which they had Stan Lee do the narration for the pitch video and somehow I don't think it's I still don't think it got picked up <laughs> almost because it's like a written show um but, uh, you get occasional, you get the, much like these movies, you get the occasional cameo, though, like there were episodes with, like, Billy D. Williams, or I think, like, Elvira came in in the whole, in the whole costume, like, so it, it, it was a fun little show, and I liked that, he, again, he just threw everything that he ever had to do with, basically, into these, into this movie. Yeah, and so... There's the original Blunt Man and Chronic, you have, um... Well, not the original, original, but you have uh, James Vanderbeek and Jason Biggs. Yeah, which I thought was great. You had them up there, and um, fucking, he's like, he, oh, he called, he just called him Vanderbitch, um, and talking about how, yeah, that movie ruined his career. Um, Why are you being so nice about it, man? They're not gonna call you like that. <laughs> yeah, so that was really cool. Uh, then you had the, the weird, wacky clerks panel, and everybody's black and white, and, uh, Jay and Silent Bob turned black and white, and they're freaking out. Um, that was silly and fun. During one of those panel bits, um, uh, there's a gag where Kevin Smith's mom makes a cameo dressed up as Bluntman, and, um, what's it called? He kind of gives her a thumbs up. Damn, I did not notice that. It was during the scene, because there's another cameo going on, too. You have, like, I think it's, uh, I think it's fucking one of the Impractical Jokers. I'm, why is his name? Is he Quinn. 
Um, he's the one ranting to them, I think, about like Blunt Man Chronic or Yoga Hosers or something like that. Um, and then it pans over and they're hiding in the audience. God damn. <laughs> and then, uh, then you, they, you get, they, they bump into Keith Coogan, uh, and it's funny, man, because, like, me and Stas had just watched uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead just a couple weeks ago, and it's really? probably the first time I've seen that movie since I was a fucking little kid, and, um, fucking the motherfucker's like, fishes are done, man. In my notes, I wrote, though, that I'm like, it is very realistic that, you know, I've seen Keith Coogan walking around conventions on many occasions, like, he... he He's definitely a, a Comic-Con regular, and uh, I think I've seen him at a couple horror conventions. Never actually met him, but like I've definitely seen him around a lot of different places I've been. So I like that detail, so I'm like, yeah, of course he's here. Yeah, that's fucking rad. So all that's happening, but when they when they meet up with Affleck, you know, he's there for... I can't remember if he's there for a podcast, but he's like a guest of honor, and he gives them uh, these uh, passes. So now they're okay to be walking around through the convention and stuff. And uh, So they go to uh, Kevin Smith's panel, which I thought was funny, because from here on out, Kevin Smith is just totally making fun of himself. Because as soon as he gets out, he tells everybody, I don't know if you know this, but I just had a heart attack. And it was funny... Because, man, he, after he had that heart attack, he was everywhere telling that story. I like how he condenses it down into, like, this is his movie self. Like, he makes himself a little bit more of an asshole, a little bit more there just to uh, make the movie and stuff like that. Um, because when you actually hear him talk about the heart attack, like... That was one of the things the first time I saw him live. That dominated, of course, most of it, because it literally, like, just recently happens um he definitely has a way of speaking where like he goes into the details of it and stuff like that so even though he has the jokes of like oh yeah I, like i've heard him do the joke i've guilted the cast and stuff like that he selects those phrases just to make his um his version of himself in this movie i described him in my notes as like more of a benign uh, antagonist yeah, he's like, I, I like what he does, it's very, very much like, uh, you know, they did with Vanderbeek and um, Jason Biggs in Strikes Back, just kind of playing himself, but as this sort of Hollywood egomaniac. Yeah, exactly. So, he's, like I said, more of a condensed down version of himself, and he plays it up more. Like, he knows how he comes off in those YouTube videos, is what I was getting at, like, a while back, where, like... So he definitely plays up the whole, hey man, I'm Kevin Smith, and this is what I'm doing, yada yada, like, that's how he plays it the whole time here. And I like how he's able to, um, to work his personality like that, you know what I mean? He's been in the game so long at this point that he's now able to do, like, not that it's like deep acting or anything like that, but it's like he's able to do variants on himself, basically. Yeah, yeah. Which is basically what a lot of his characters are anyway, they're, they're means of him to speak these conversations I feel like he's having in his head, really. <laughs> yeah, oh, shit, fool. And just observing some of the conversations he's had in real life that, like, he just wants to explore on that. Um, but this is where he's like, hey, guys, we're going to be filming a scene right here. Uh, but before that, he shows, like, footage of yeah. the upcoming movie. 
even though I said this is where the part, this is where the movie starts to go downhill, this trailer is genuinely awesome. Yeah, so you're talking about the Blunt Man and Chronic, uh, or Blunt Man v. Chronic. I like how every time somebody says, uh, blah, 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 they always say V, because that was never really a thing until Batman vs. Superman came out. All of a sudden, everyone in the world is saying Batman versus or Batman v. Superman. And so I like how every time, even when they were doing the court case at the beginning, they say the people v. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob, I thought that was funny, and whenever they do it, um, they always throw up the, uh, two fingers to make a V. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, literally just did it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you kind of have to at this point. Batman v Superman really made it more of a popular title, but when it came out, I remember feeling really weird about it, because my first thought on that was like, yeah, well, what is this then? Is it going to be a court case? Like, because that's usually where you see the V is like, the people the people V this, or something like that. Um, and oddly enough, I guess if you do rewatch Batman v Superman, it is kind of like, there's a lot of court scenes. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that little trailer or that little scene for the Blunt Man and Chronic uh movie uh, is pretty good. I thought that was a great way to recreate a Blunt Man and Chronic scene, because in, in Strikes Back, you know, they're filming the movie, and Jay and Bob and everybody and Mark Hamill are acting out the scenes, uh, but in this one, it's already filmed, but they do the same thing where, um, I don't know who the lady is playing, um, is it Blunt Man or is it Chronic? She's playing Chronic. I believe she's Supergirl. If she's not Supergirl, she's known for... I, I really hope I'm right. I believe she's known for the CW like superhero shows. And like I said um, a little while back, he had directed a few episodes. I think he even did like an episode of The Flash or something where didn't he, basically Jay and Silent Bob show up. Didn't he do a Supergirl episode? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's kind of bounced around. He's done Flash and Supergirl. I'm not sure if he's done Arrow, um, but he's definitely made his way around the CW DC universe. Interesting. Too bad. Too bad I'm not into that shit anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even really watch it either. So like, that's the thing. I I, I hear about it as it comes, but yeah, yeah, I didn't recognize her right off the bat. But when I saw the screening, like people were losing their shit. So. And then he talked about it later in the Q&A, so that kind of cleared it up for me. What yeah. I was going to talk about, I, I, like, what I wrote down about the scene in particular is that I know that Val Kilmer could have kind of like a bad reputation sometimes, mm -hmm. but kudos to him and his sense of humor over what happened to his voice that he's playing the silent character. Yeah, yeah, that is... Uh... <clears throat> You know, I hate... on his part. I, I, I kind of... I got to give him credit. Yeah, I hate uh, that, that Val Kilmer wound up with, with, with throat cancer. And it's, it's really sad. Yeah, and, I mean, he, he looks bad. And um, doing this weird thing with, like, his uh, <laughs> to DVD movies where he's got a sound-alike. So when... He'll still show up on camera and do, like, movies and action scenes and stuff like that. And he'll say the dialogue the way only he can now. Yeah, they'll but just ADR the dialogue later. 
Yeah, they add in this Val Kilmer sound alike, and it's it's pretty strange. Um, but apparently, yeah. like when he he played Iceman on this new Top Gun, apparently they used like an AI. To, yeah, uh, I still haven't seen the new Top Gun. I've heard great things, but I I completely I was wondering when it was first announced, and then it had all those pushbacks. I was like, how, like so, what are they? How's Kilmer? What are they gonna do? Um, so yeah, I've still yet to see what they did. So apparently AI. I mean, they've been doing that with James Earl Jones now with uh, with the Obi Wan show, where they say it's James Earl Jones, but then in the end credits you see like, oh AI voice credits by, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's why he sounds so, like like the original trilogy basically. Um, but yeah, he's Val Kilmer seems to have a sense of humor about it all around. Because when I found out about it, I looked up interviews. Um, and I remember he, he, they were asking him like, well, how are you doing? How are you handling it? And he's like, well, it does kind of suck that I sound like a pirate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you, know, as, you gotta battle it with a sense of humor. Yeah. So I thought that was a cool little bit, you know, they're fighting and stuff. And, um, Tommy Chong is fucking Alfred. That's what makes it, man. Like, <laughs> he's like, this is officially the greatest movie ever made. Because they had this whole scene beforehand we didn't talk about where he, Jay and Silent Bob, like, make their motives clear. Like, we're here to end this. And then, you know, Millie is saying, like, well, it's the whole reason we came here because her friend is going to be sent back home. And, you know, like, this was all she ever wanted to do. How could you do this? How could you tear down her dreams. Yeah. And then they also, that's, until the very end, this is the whole confirming, like, father-daughter moment where it's like, you could tell Millie's really getting it now. He gives her the last joint, and I like the line where he's like, I just, something to remember me by, but uh, when you smoke this, you won't remember shit, so choose a special occasion. Yeah. But like I was saying earlier, uh, the twist coming up, is a bit of a payoff for a joke earlier, and that's when they're in the van and he's talking about how the girls are just the same. They're like, "Are y'all are, are y'all international diamond thieves?" Because yeah, this is a reboot, and you just change enough and add a little bit of diversity. Y'all aren't wearing any cat suits under those clothes, are you? And so the payoff is during all this, um, Chinese girl gets up and it turns out she's Russian and some spy shit. I don't really know what her motives are. She wants to kill like Kevin. This, even, this is even where like my notes stopped. I was just kind of, and I, I told you I was re-watching it this morning trying to get more notes going. And I was just like, there's really nothing. To talk. Like the last note I have is like Iron Bob is pretty cool. Yeah. And so, like, I don't even really remember her motive other than she wants to kill Kevin Smith, but... Yeah, she's not, like, a diamond thief, but I am actually happy that you brought up that that's the payoff, because, you know, I never actually made that connection. So it does at least give it more validity. Because when she does take the clothes off and she's got the she's got the little cat suit on, Jay yells, I knew you had a cat suit. It's kind of like we need something to happen, like we need a climax, but it's like, I don't know, we were really kind of at the end here, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, we need to have an action scene, 
uh, you know, because like I said, it's got to follow the beats of Strikes Back, so we got to have a big action scene uh, at the end. Um, and I how he takes the gun. This is like a more modern Jason Musism, because we all know Snoochie Boochies and like Snoogans and stuff like that, but. I don't know if this started when he was, like, streaming Fortnite or something, but I've seen it pop in a lot of videos. He picks up the gun and he goes, Shazayzen! And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I like it. Yeah, and, like, fucking... We got this whole bit where they're watching Kevin Smith up there talking, and they're like, oh, you look just like him. So he has, he gets up there, and Kevin Smith goes backstage, and then you get the little mirror gag, that old-school... Yeah, did you like that? Uh, yeah, I thought it was funny. Uh, you know, the mirror gags are never impressive as the original. Uh, I can't remember what fucking uh, physical comedian did the mirror gag back in the day. Uh, but you always see it in cartoons and stuff. And with, with Kevin Smith doing it with himself... It's not that impressive because, you know, it's computers, it's animation, but when it was a real person doing the mirror thing, when it was two real people having it... And, yeah, they're cutting back and forth between, like, close-up uh, or, like, medium shots of them as well, yeah, so it's yeah. definitely more edited and green screened. It's, it's, it's really impressive when you're watching two actors just... Uh, Be on time and have the whole routine down, like... You know, there, there's an art to things that is just lost now and yeah it's a fun little gag uh but it's not impressive <laughs> but uh because it's like there's been, it's not the same gag but it's still a mirror trick like there's yeah. still really interesting ways of doing this like I, dude i remember in terminator 2 there's like a really crazy mirror trick that like you wouldn't even notice it's when they're like picking the like the chip out of his head or something like that and they're looking in the mirror it's like those are two extras on one end, and then in the mirror, who are supposed to be the reflections, it's like that's Linda Hamilton and Schwarzenegger, and it's like, wow, I would have never thought to do that, but that completely um, gets rid of, and that's probably why Kevin used digital effects as well. It's like, how do you get rid of the cameraman and the reflection of the mirror? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so that, that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, so... You can tell I'm running out of things to say. <laughs> yeah, so Bob uh, Bob switches over with Kevin and comes out there and gets um, uh, gets uh, Millie up on stage to uh, speak for him. And then this is when this is when a Chinese girl gets up there and um, the. Uh, she does. She sets off that little that little sonic uh, thing to make everybody, you know, like, oh man, this is fucking with my head. And then Bob, I forget how it switched over to the real Kevin Smith up on stage, and Bob locked away. Uh, and Me neither. Again, this is where I kind of lose it. Yeah, puts on puts on the Iron Man deal, Iron Bob clothes, uh, suit, comes out there, you got all the cock knockers, little cock knocker minions, and... It's their way of doing cock knocker without having Mark Hamill, because they tease him in the, in the, in the trailer footage, he knocks his hand through the thing, but it's like, clearly they didn't have Mark Hamill, so that's yeah. where they ended. And, uh, so... 
all that's going down, and then, um, Death Girl, <laughs> I hate that I can't remember their names, and I'm just calling them by, you know, I, Muslim I Girl, like Chinese Girl, Death Girl. <laughs> yeah. But, uh. At this point. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Death Girl gets up there, she's talking about hearings overrated, she knocks out, uh, Chinese Girl, I guess you call her Russian Girl now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, knocks them out, and. Say what? I was just saying, like, we'll call her Secret Asian Girl. Yeah. And, yeah, so knocks her out, and I forget uh, how this even ends right here. You know what's a nitpick that does bother me? Like, throughout the whole movie, they do the green effect on the weed smoke, and it's something that's like, I get it, it's cartoony and stuff like that, but... I don't know. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking, like, the way I was kind of writing that off was like, oh, it's just that particular strand. Yeah, yeah. But it is kind of, it is kind of just a little too silly. It just looks like somebody, like, shit all over the room or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, like it's like a fart cloud floating around. Um, exactly. But how does this even end right here? I'm literally watching it right now, like a fool, <laughs> and I'm still like, I don't know. I'm just watching a bunch of people fight. It is a pretty decent fight scene. Um, I like that in Kevin Smith's more modern movies. Um, not that he's gone crazy with like cinematography and stuff like that, but he definitely adds in a lot more action. Like Yoga Hosers, well, it wasn't that great, but it had a lot more, like, action going for it with them, like, killing the Bratwurst Nazis and fighting these giants. But the fight breaks out. Oh, my God, I'm seeing it now. The fight just breaks out, and it fades back to RST with Jay and his daughter. Okay, so there's real no resolve to that. It just fades out, and then they're at the quick stop. Like, Kevin Smith makes it. He's watching the whole fight go down, and he makes some jokes... Oh, yeah. Again, he's smoking a joint. Yeah, Kevin Smith kind of like just sums it up real quick. And he's like, and yeah, then, I think we'll do a nice little wait, a little fade out right here. <laughs> That's what it was. That was a little odd, but I, I'll allow it. Because we get to another really great moment um, where you've got Jay and his daughter at the quick stop, and he's telling her, you know, I've spent my whole life in front of this grocery store, and uh, I don't recommend you doing it, at least not yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it ends on a really touching note, and it kind of makes me wish either they just didn't do as massive of an action scene, or I don't know, just found some other way to get us to this point, because... The fight is still going on, and we don't really know how they got out of there. I know nobody's lives are really in in, in soup, like in danger, but it would still be interesting to figure out like how they like because did the cops the come? Scene. Who got arrested? You started the action scene and then you didn't finish it. And yeah. I don't know if the guy who plays LaForce is still alive, but it's like, if you're talking fan service, you could have done the extended action scene where LaForce shows up with the security guards. Right. And, um, damn, uh, so yeah, this is a really good scene, but I do like the fact that they, you know, how Strikes Back ended, 
there was the big action scene and then just a big singing song and dance number. Well, I like how this one, I don't necessarily like how they just kind of move away from the action scene and don't resolve any of it, but I do like that they end it on a more chill, winding down kind of uh, note. Where Closer to like it kind of the themes of the movie really are, and what's really important about it is the relationship between Jay and Millie. So to end it on that note is appropriate. Um, and it's also clear that it's like we weren't really having that good of a time in the action scene anyway. So it's like it, it's even more of yeah. Where the the where this movie really shines is the the character growth and stuff, and it just kind of felt like. They needed an action scene just because Strikes Back had a action scene. I do like Strikes Back more, but this is where I'll actually give it points above Strikes Back, where it was a big trope of comedies at the time, and even nowadays you still see comedies do it, where it's like, we're just going to end on dancing. Or yeah. like even in Zack and Miri Make a Porno, like even if it's not the end, we're going to cut to obligatory dancing. Like The only thing that I kind of give a pass as Tropic Thunder because, I, listen, that Tom Cruise performance is something else. <laughs> uh, but going back to Tropic Thunder. Um, but, yeah, that pretty much concludes it. We have the pullout on um, the quick stop, and we see Dante. I don't know if the locks are jammed again or yeah, something happens. Yeah, the locks are jammed again, and... Um but you get a lot of you get a lot of touching words from Jay talking about find yourself a silent Bob, your you know, friend that'll always have your back, you know, and uh, fucking. But yeah, during the credits we get a lot of deleted scenes uh, and um, extended scenes, uh, and I like all of them. About uh, I will say there there are some bits. In the deleted scenes, where I'm like, I'm glad they didn't run with this because apparently it's looking like, based on these deleted scenes, there was a running joke about every time they mentioned they had to go to Hollywood, somebody said Hollywood, Florida. And they're like, no, L.A. And they're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, that would have been just been a lame ass running gag. I'm glad you cut all that out. Uh, but a lot of the stuff in the deleted scenes. Uh, I thought it was great, and a lot of it was the uh, Chronic Con stuff. They meet up with the two kids from the beginning of Strikes Back, and uh, they fucking own a freaking weed empire now. And they even throw down, like, Jay's like, well, shit, give us some free weed. He's like, nah, man, it's like $200. He's like, oh, I've always wanted to do this. $200, little man, put that shit in my hand. And I was like, that's funny. And as I'm watching the credits roll, because of course we have like the, um, much like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, where the credits roll and we see the characters, um, just realize that uh, Amy, Holden and uh, Alyssa's kid, is um, Logan Lee Muse. So oh, there you I go. Yeah, look at that. I did not know that. I did um, not either, so that's pretty cool. And then we have this little Stan Lee tribute at the end where we throw in like interview footage with Stan and Kevin. Yeah. Back as like a little honoring to him, which, you know, is pretty appropriate for the time. Like there was a lot of um, Stan Lee honoring, like, of course, around the time of his death. But even like 
as it passed, like, people were still really shook by it. Like, I remember I went to a screening of Troma's Return to Return to Nukem High Part 2, <sighs> and I think it had actually had a cameo in that, so that movie's dedicated to him as well. It was just a really big time for uh, gathering around the love of a comics legend, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's a, nice, it's a nice little homage before we go into the bloopers, because in and of itself, having, like, well, not bloopers, but having, like, deleted... Uh, moments rolling the credits is like nothing new to comedies. I guess that's replacing the dancing, but I don't find it as um, like I feel like it'll age better than the dancing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because it shows me I stuff like a lot of those the scenes, especially the scenes that were deleted out of Chronic Con. I think a lot of those uh, would work if they were re-edited in. Uh, but I can definitely see it would just make that whole chronic con bit just a little too long. And the movie is a relatively quick sit anyway. Like, if you're not breaking it down and taking notes like me, like, it actually goes by fairly fast. Like, even with the clan scene, like, slowing it down. And yeah, like, even oh. with the movie being 140-something minutes long, uh, it does feel like it flies through. And again, it goes back into that rapid-fire dialogue and stuff like that where you really feel like um you're you're in and out you're strapped in for the uh for the next hour and 45 yeah and then uh at, at the end of all of that you get a nice little bit where he tells her every night him and jay or him and bob have been coming over there and sticking gum in the locks um so they were the ones that put the gum in the locks it started off the original Clerks um, and all of that shit. So that was a nice, funny little reveal. Finally have that filled in. Yeah, something like nobody had to know, you know, but it works. Oh, yeah. You know, of course they would. Just to see Dante suffer. Yeah. <laughs> He's not even supposed to be there today. But, uh... Overall, man. Huh? I said that pretty much concludes it, because they pan out, and then it's like, yeah, credits. Yeah, to me, man, overall, I, I love the shit out of it. Oh. Yeah, I have to say, on my third viewing, I actually, I, I, think it, I think it's okay. I think it's pretty good. Um, I still stand by, like, some of the stuff that sticks out to me, but it definitely um, outshined that second viewing of mine, because I had a really, I, I didn't, really like this movie for a split moment, but upon this rewatch, and especially um, diving into... Because at the end of the day, I am a Kevin Smith fan, and like I was saying, separating it from a mainstream movie that maybe as a mainstream comedy, it probably wouldn't do so well. But as a fan of all that he's done in his career, and finally being able to like delve into that for another watch, and like really notice how much he really put into this, like the... I can't walk away with a negative feeling, you know what I mean? I had yeah. a good time. Yeah, me, I think the movie grows the characters pretty damn perfectly. I think it sends off some characters pretty damn perfectly. Uh, I think that it lampoons the, the modern state of Hollywood and reboots. I think it lampoons Hollywood... Um, well, I think it lampoons the current state of Hollywood and trends 
I think it lampoons those better now than Strikes Back tried to lampoon Hollywood back then. Yeah, Strikes Back is just a fun movie overall, and it's mostly just a live-action cartoon with elements of that once they finally get to Hollywood. But yeah. They're also breaking into the animal land. There's uh, Marshall, Will, and Holly, you know what I mean? There's a whole other adventure going on, and it was very much like a stoner adventure of the time. It was yeah. very much trying to be like its own Cheech and Chong, where they're, we're taking them out of Jersey, and we're really going to, more so than, like, well, maybe not more so than Dogma, because that was literally like the end of the world, but on a more cartoony level, like, send them out of their element. Yeah, it was very much like a Pee-wee's Big Adventure uh, with Jay and Silent Bob kind of deal. But I think this one, I think this one had smarter shit to say, with all the characters talking about uh, the you know the state of movies, the state of Hollywood, and then at the same time you got a, a massive amount of heart uh, and the the character growth and the send offs. I think this movie really, I think it does a lot of what Strikes Back was doing better. I think I I I like this more than I like Strikes Back. Strikes Back is a fun sort of uh, you know a fun movie within the universe, um, just to kind of pass the time. But I think this one, with the way it treats its characters and the growth and the universe uh, and all the established uh, canon, I think this movie is is many steps above. Um, um, strikes back and uh and in some way it to me it does for a lot of the other characters like what clerks 2 kind of did where you know it shows the growth of of randall and dante and a little bit of growth with jay and silent bob but this one it really it's a send-off for a lot of the other characters uh that you haven't seen in a real long time like brody and uh holden <clears throat> You know who we never see anymore? Who? We never see T.S. See, that's another thing, too. Like, T.S. is never uh, brought back. But like I said, T.S. is the probably the most boring and forgettable lead out of all of these movies. He is. I, I, the only reason I remember him is just because he reminds me of somebody that I went to school. Like I said, like, uh, even on Mallrats... His, his his whole conflict in the movie, his whole conflict in the movie, his relationship and the, the dad that doesn't like him, yeah, yeah, that shit's funny, but at the same time, it's one boring-ass Hollywood studio fucking relationship, but when you look at what's going on with Brody and Shannon Doherty, I'm like... I would rather see this in a movie. I would rather see what's going on the with them. Character. Huh? Him be more the main character rather than the sidekick. Yeah, exactly. I would rather see what's going on there. Because you got some, like, there's some toxicity in there that must be explored uh, between those two characters. And some, there's, like, some real shit to say about being a a 20-something-year-old and still living with your parents and and still being into comics 
and not really moving your life forward. There's some real shit to say in there with Brody and Shannon Doherty as opposed to, oh, T.S. wants to get married to this girl, but her dad doesn't like him. You know what I mean? Yeah, it rings more true, especially nowadays, too. Like, um, no, I definitely see what you're saying. And, there's more there. And I do like that with both... Uh, Strikes back and this, uh, when when we do cut back to Brody, Brody has sort of gotten his life together. That you know he owns his own business. Uh, you know, because hell, at the end of Mallrats, it showed he became the sh host on the Tonight Show. And there's a reference to that on a poster, I believe, in Strikes Back, or was it this? I can't remember. There's a poster that shows him on the Tonight Show, but he owns his own business. He owns a comic book shop. Uh, so he's got, he's got his life together. He's not just some uh, fucking slacker hanging out a mall, hanging at the mall all day like he was in Mallrats. So there's some growth there. There's some growth with uh, with fucking Holden McNeil. Um, and I guess, oh, like T.S. just gets married and he just has a normal life. You know what I mean? He just had a really cool wedding, is all. Yeah, yeah. T.S. just That's went on. That's the only interesting thing about him is that, but. I remember when I was at the Clerks 3 premiere, that was one of the, like, I made, <laughs> my ass made sure to ma mention T.S. Because um, I actually got to ask him a question where um, I wondered if, like, the animated series style would return for any project. Because there was that Clerks sold out movie that never happened. There was, you know, now with Hulu, like, a lot of shows are being picked up left and right. Like, Clone High is supposedly supposed to be coming back. Oh, yeah? And, yeah, yeah. A lot of these shows are getting reboots in second seasons. Um, so, like, would there be... A, and I wasn't even necessarily saying new Clerks episodes, but something in that art style. And I mentioned, like, with characters we really haven't seen in that style, like T.S., Brody, you know. Because um, the only real thing that shows them in that style was the series of, like, in-action figures that they did. Yeah. Uh, which were in, like, that... I think it's the Paul Dini art style, and I really liked that. And there was, like, the rare Kevin Smith figure where it's just himself. Um, so, yeah, that's what I asked. He, he explained that this is where he also went into the Twilight of the Mallrats thing. Um, but, yeah, all that shit is owned by Disney, and there's some legal shit on how they can't use that art style or those characters, but he can do a... Clerks cartoon or a viewers universe cartoon if you wanted to just under a different style probably closer to like the super groovy cartoon movie or something like that so kind of a bummer but it doesn't mean like animated projects are never going to happen you know yeah so that so that sort of sharp outlined um early 2000s MTV art style. That's what it looked yeah, like it. to me. I, I miss it a lot. Like Daria and um, and um, Clone High and Spy okay. Groove. And this. one of the jokes he did, it is funny that in this movie he did the whole Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, Alec Baldwin uh, monologue because things are a lot different nowadays and that's how he ended... Um, his answer to me was like, also the Clerks cartoon, uh, Leonardo Leonardo was played by Alec Baldwin, so perhaps it's best we leave that in the past. That's what he said to me. So. Hey. Hey, yeah. I, 
you know, I get it. <laughs> but yeah, so I like I was saying, I don't, I don't, I I really wouldn't care for if they were to do a, a Mallrats sequel, it would have to follow Bro Brody. T.S. can be in it, but it would it would have to be. I'm not saying the whole T.S. solo movie. I'm just curious on. Oh, now that we're bringing back these characters, like yeah. let's bring them back. I want to see. Fuck it. I want to see Zach and Mary. Like I held my tongue when I was asking that question to Kevin Smith. I was about to say like, can we see Zach and Mary in the animated style? Because <laughs> even let's say he does he does a Ballrats two finally. I, I it would make more sense for Brody to be the main character and and T.S. to sort of. Either have a cameo, a short bit, or or be the sidekick. Um, they can give him the Holden scene for that movie. Yeah, and you know, just to let us see what he's up to. Um, I mean, hell, I wouldn't even mind. You know, I'm actually surprised, but at the same time, Banky isn't. I don't believe Banky is as much of a beloved character as Brody is, which is why I don't think we got Banky in a reboot. Yeah. Because we got that, both of them. I thought about. I was wondering where he was, but also it probably would have just bogged down the movie. Like, in a movie so full of cameos and appearances, yeah. that might have been one too many. And they did have Jason Lee, but I think they really might have only had him for that time to shoot that scene. Yeah. It's not like Strikes Back where he comes back as a different character in the end. So. Oh, yeah. He yeah. even makes another little reference. He says, you know... Um, they're, they're, they make sequels and prequels and even squeakwels. <laughs> and Bob makes a little fucking face at it. Um, but, uh, I do, I do think, I like this movie a lot more than Strikes Back. It's, uh, it's got a lot to say about everything, and, um, I, it's um, a, the only thing, oh, sorry, you go. And it's a, it's a massive step above Strikes Back, and... Uh, throughout the whole movie, the only two things that don't really work for me is at the beginning with the, the dick tuck, uh, which makes no sense to do in that moment in time, and the, uh, how the, how the clan scene just kind of stops the movie for about four minutes so, so, uh, Silent Bob can yell at some clansmen. Uh, those are the only two scenes that I really... To me, are like eh. Uh, even though the climax and the fight scene is kind of, uh, kind of like uh, like the twist is sort of <clears throat> just there to be there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I other than that, to me, the rest of the movie is pretty perfect. I think for me, um, the only reason I like Strikes Back more is that it has the benefit of time, and oddly enough, even though this movie is a nostalgia thing. It's that genuine nostalgia that it was one of the first Kevin Smith movies I had ever seen, so it has that kind of place in my heart. Even though I do acknowledge what you're saying is that reboot, it, it does have a lot more to say in terms of it. I think uh, entertainment-wise, though, I think I like Strikes Back a little bit more. It's still like it was originally that final chapter to the universe, so even yeah. though overall it may not be the best, it, it has kind of like a crucial feeling in my eyes and I think what took me a long time to come around on reboot was I think I was still washing the taste of yoga hosers out of my mouth so I was kind of when the trailer came out I was kind of hesitant like what is he going to do with, with, with Jay and Bob is it going to be more like that and 
upon three rewatch three watches. It, it really is. And when you come around to seeing Clerks three, you'll see how he really knows how to step up his writing game when it comes to these characters that mean so much to his fans. Like Yoga Hosers, Tusk, Red State, all that stuff is him experimenting for him. And to an extent, of course there are scenes in this movie that he threw in because he wanted to. Again, the clan scene being a good example. But there's more of an awareness and attention to, all right, well, I got to do this right, but I also got to do it in a way that I feel is right as well. I got to meet in the middle, basically. So yeah. I still think... Overall, I, I think it's a pretty solid movie. Yeah, I uh, I enjoy the shit out of it. Um, the uh, what was I gonna say? Um, <laughs> I know we've been we've been at it. It's another close to four hour one. Yeah. So I mean, me, I I think it's great. I think it's a great. Uh, you know, it does it does what I wanted it to do. That was another thing. It does what I wanted it to do. Uh, and with the Blu-ray sales, like, it's a success. Like, um, that was another thing Kevin was going into at his Q&A, was that it did so well on home video and streaming that, um, I forgot what if it was Saban. I think it's Saban. They're like, we'll take whatever Jay and Silent Bob shit you got. So that's another thing that he's like, a cartoon is possible because Saban is really open to producing more stuff because... You know, Jay and Silent Bob is doing really good for them right now. So, um, yes. What I was going to say was, was huh? That's all I was saying is that the movie was a success. I yeah. think it did. It succeeded in what it wanted to do. Yes. What I was going to say was uh, how we, you mentioned, yeah, because originally Strikes Back was going to be the last one in this universe, and then he, after that, he went and did a couple, what, was it only Jersey Girl that he did in between, uh, that and, uh, Clerks 2? I believe so. There might have been, like, short stuff in between, I have no idea, but I think Jersey Girl was really his attempt to... All right, now we're moving on to this. Yeah. And it really wasn't that bad of a movie. I, I had never seen it. I think it was the best it. place, wrong time. Yeah, I had never seen it, uh, but uh, then, yeah, so he does Clerks 2 after that, and then that was going to be the last one, and for a minute there, it really did look like it was going to be the last, because, yeah, that's when he went and just experimented his ass off, man. He made Cop Out, he made uh, fucking Zack and Mary. Cop Out was a real experiment. <laughs> Huh? I said, yeah, Cop Out was a real experiment. Yeah, like, hey, let me just see if I can do somebody else's shit. Um, and then he made, he, he went off the rails and did some wild shit like Red State and uh, Tusk, which I still to this day say Tusk is fucking uh, amazing. I love it, yeah. I will die on that hill. I really yeah. do like Tusk. And I still haven't seen Yoga Hoser. I know everybody, everybody kind of hates on Yoga Hosers, but... It's, I still it's on my list. I still want to see it, just because I am interested in seeing. Uh, really, I'm really interested in seeing Johnny Depp play that character again, because Me I too. thought yeah. I thought Johnny Depp was so good in Tusk, because I was like for for the longest time I was like I did not recognize him at all. Like I was like this is the first time Johnny Depp has played a character that. I'm like, yeah, he's, like, really losing himself in this character. Like, he's not playing Johnny Depp. 
playing a character, you know what I mean? Like, uh, he's just this weird guy. If you thought he was kooky and tusk, like, now that Yoga Hosers is really even further goofy, like, yeah, you'll, I think you'll have a fun time with that. Yeah, because I don't, I don't, it's like, it's, it's not everybody hating on the movie that's kept me from watching it, it's just I've, I haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, you were saying about it before, it's all a matter of time and just getting around to it. Yeah. Um, but like anytime, anytime he does something in the view universe, I'm gonna watch it as soon as possible. But all his other stuff is like, I'll get to it. Definitely gonna be watching Clerks three before you do Yoga Hosers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. But uh, on that note, is that that's gonna be the next episode? Yeah. Yeah, Clerks three, man. We're gonna that'll be the end of the Kevin Smith retrospective. What a journey this has been, and, you know, now this time around, I know I keep saying it, but, like, we're going to get these out a lot quicker, because we've been bouncing around ideas for episodes. I know we've also talked about um, an Oingo Boingo episode of Speaker Brains, if ever we get around to that, so it's like, there's there's other stuff we definitely want to do, and now I really want to carve out the time to be more serious about this, because this was a blast. Yeah, because I still want to have, you know, I still want to do... Bill and Ted, uh, what is it, three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Face the music, still want to do the Ghostbusters Afterlife, just as, you know, because we went hardcore on the the two Bill and Ted and the three Ghostbusters, so that's like a coming back to that kind of shit. That's our reboot, yeah. Yeah, and uh, definitely want to jump on the Rob Zombie movies, man. Absolutely. But on that note, I think that wraps it up for this episode, Basement Dwellers. Yeah, man. We'll fucking see y'all later. Catch you guys later. Thank you for the comments, too. Keep them coming. Hell yeah. All right. Peace. Later.